This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped just launched new products to keep you smelling amazing this holiday season, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give yourself or your loved ones the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and jingle balls this holiday season. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code LASERTIME for 20% off plus free shipping. Bobby Hill claims his purse, Jack Black struggles with weight, and Adam Sandler does drag this week on 30 Welcome everyone to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you back in time across three decades, but of the same week. So what we're doing this week, we're talking about November 5th to the 11th and all the fun movies, TV, music, video games, and more that came out in that period in 1991, 2001, and 2011. Again, if you haven't heard the show before, it'll help you place where you were, what you were doing, what you were trading in, and when your parents got divorced. Definitely that one. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and oh, how I yearn for a Ducachino. And <laughs> I'm J.R. Rawls, and the following takes place between 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. on the day of the release of this podcast. Events uh, occur in real time. Beep. Beep. <laughs> Beep. <laughs> Yeah, we have a special guest this week. It's me. Sarah has resigned in disgrace uh, <laughs> or is way too busy to do the show this week, and we'll be back next week. And our buddy, 302010's probably fourth member anyway, J.R. Rolls, came to the table to help us out here. You might know him from the Laser Time community forums who asked a ton of great follow-up questions from 302010. It's the kind of stuff I always mean to do and get uh, life gets in the way. Um, what up, JR? Thank you. And from, and from Talking Terrific Television, where I've been talking to you with, uh, about The Sopranos this year. Yep. Thank mm-hmm. you both very much for having me on, on the show. Super glad to be on. And thanks for being on my show a couple of times. Really appreciate that as well. Mm-hmm. Hey. All right. Well, so it's your responsibility to just guess what Sarah would say about these movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And just, just be Sarah. Just be Sarah. I'll we put don't on want a wig. your opinions. Right. <laughs> of course. Y'all, it is wretched. That's <laughs> <laughs> Just finally nice to be not be dominated by lady energy. The testosterone is back in the laser time format as if it was ever missing. No, it's great to have you, JR. Thank you so much for helping us out in a pinch. And what a what a weird week. Man, nothing I would call a genuine classic except for television, which is pretty astounding and the games are oh, all really Yeah, neat. November sweeps are starting, baby. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's what that is. Sweeps the second first second week of November, where they that's where you get all the weird guest stars and crossovers normally. Um, or I think in the second decade, you'll see like a switch to like real big budget television. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Screw episodic yeah. non what would you call it non serialized television, like real big event television bleeding over from HBO. Yeah, the the very beginning of the modern television era that we all think of is really being born in the 2001 period, and we're seeing it really be like, no, you've got to be competing with these shows that HBO are doing. Yeah, yeah, people don't want to watch this episode again and again and again. They want to have their face rocked once, and then if they go back and look at it, that episode will seem really stupid by what they learn later in the series. Uh, anyway, I got first off, I got to say this show is executive produced by Justin Allen and many other fine people at patreon.com slash laser time. Thank you guys so much for throwing us five bucks every week or more or less. Uh, whatever you want at patreon.com slash laser time. We try and give our listeners at least monthly gifts. Uh, we got a new episode of 302010 Games and 
Hopefully, nobody puts 30, 20, 10 in the, How do we say this? Nobody puts classics in the corner. <laughs> a segment of the show grown to a full episode of something. <laughs> Without further ado, the show, 30, 20, 10, beginning as we always do in 1991. Wow. I did not realize. Like one of the news stories of 1991. Of the, of the decade. of the decade. Yeah. Magic, Huge. Magic Johnson yeah. holds a press conference and announces he is HIV positive and retiring from the Lakers. And I think I don't remember those both happening at the same time because he, he came back to play didn't he yeah okay yeah and then he was on the dream team in 1992 for the right. olympics but this is at a point where aids equals death hiv equals aids equals mm-hmm. death you got a couple years it's horrible that's it and to have someone who is like just such a fucking star athlete mm-hmm. just be like yeah it happened to me yeah not and I, also I not around, i messed around on my wife uh i had unsafe sex this happened to me and I'm going to deal with it. And that we still have him 30 years later right. is a fucking miracle. No one in my junior high thought that would ever, ever happen. When right. this yeah. got released, it was huge news. And we were like, okay, so he's going to die in a few years. That was the universal opinion of everyone I knew at the time. Yeah. It was also the only human being I saw come out or talked to, who talked about being HIV positive who was straight and not a intervene just drug use uh, dr- uh, mm-hmm. drug user and i thought mm-hmm. that was important too because i think those are the people who are the most resistant to talking about uh their stuff and again if you haven't seen that nickelodeon documentary i didn't cry the entire time until like Mag- magic johnson talks to a three-year-old girl who is also hiv positive and they both start crying um, oh jeez. Uh, well about but just a when little kids were that was a yeah. way bigger problem in 1991 mm-hmm. and having someone for lack of a better word, to look up to, or at least like, oh, that guy's alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and playing basketball is a really cool role model for little kids with HIV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Up until now, the the vast majority of people that the public knew who had HIV were people who were gay, intravenous drug users, who everyone just thought, well, they kind of deserved it. Mm-hmm. Ryan White, who was a hemophiliac kid, you know, it was people. So many of them were people people could just look down on and be mm-hmm. like, oh, well, they, they you could did... otherize them. Yeah, you could you can look at them and be like, well, they shouldn't have done that. And that's how they got it. And they kind of deserve it because, you know, being gay isn't very normalized. And that guy is a total and... artist. Mm, you know what I'm saying? Uh... Yeah. And have yeah, Magic Johnson, who is like ever so slightly past the peak of his powers, I think, though. But yeah. he's just been but still a huge star. He's Quintus- a massive star. Like I mean, the Lakers are not the same without him. And, and I, I, I think, and I think, you find out like, oh my God, like the least likely guy in the world. Oh, he can get it too. A, a shittier, oh. a shittier Reagan-esque society really needed a rich straight guy to get this in order to care yeah. and make legislation. Yeah, yeah I can uh, see that. So I, I just remember it becoming like kind of a bigger deal than this plague we we whispered about after Magic Johnson coming out and saying that. It's yeah. uh, we all need and, to take take some precautions here. Yeah, man, just and it's it's just I don't know if I can underline how brave it was. He could have just been like, oh, my knee, I'm retiring mm-hmm. and never said it was HIV. And people would might have whispered here and there. And was, yeah, they'd there be were, like, no, I am making a point about this. Mm-hmm. Everyone pay attention. There were some celebrities that got it and kept it a secret until their death. Uh, yeah. Isaac Asimov, for instance, had what? AIDS. Really? And he, he got it from a blood transfusion. I didn't know that. Um, and he didn't want the world to know about it. Uh, so he kept it quiet. Wrote stories about uh, living in robots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was not released until after his death. Easy E. Yep. 
Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I found out right after his death, uh, Freddie Mercury, who sadly we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks. It was the oh, day before oh. he died. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, this is not even all the news. Uh, the last oil yeah. fire in Kuwait uh, set by retreating Iraqi troops is extinguished. Hello. So, uh, yeah, that was back in January uh, that this oil fires were started. And here we are in November and the last of them are going out. Uh, I do remember at the time people wondering if they could last for years uh, because there are some fires. I looked it up. The longest fire on history so far is still going on. It's in Turkmenistan and it's been going for 40 years. Wow. It's uh, a crater called the door to hell and it's been burning for decades. It's not JFK's Whoa. grave or anything like that. I, I, I know I read, I'm reading here there's that one town in America where like the coal mine is perpetually yeah. still on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Centralia, Pennsylvania. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Yep. Of course In, it's inspiration for um, Silent Hill, I think. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they had all these coal mines. They put the trash down there and burn it, and then it set fire to a, a coal seam. And now, and then, the, and then the they plum ran out of water. And then yeah. <laughs> they went down to Wawa and get the hoagies. Get the water. And what, the Grand Duke Vladimir, I'm not going to pronounce this name. Who is this? Uh, a Grand Duke Vladimir Krilovisti. Uh, is the person who claimed to be head of the Russian imperial family. He was allowed to return to St. Petersburg. And on the same day, Russian President Boris Yeltsin outlawed the Communist Party. Wow. The only reason I wanted to mention this is I'm just picturing some old Bolshevik going, you see, comrades, when we <laughs> relax the fight against the royals, you see what happens? They run straight into Florida or wherever St. Petersburg is. <laughs> um, but yeah, he'd die a year uh, later after the fall of the Soviet Union and be buried in St. Oh, mm. he died of self-poisoning. Who knew? Uh, those damn royals always sneaking back in. Yeah. yeah. Okay, moving on to the movies of 1991, November 5th through the 11th. Curly Suit moves on up to number one at the box office. I always remember this as a Christmas movie anyway. Uh, huh. it's, it's winter in the movie, and I just remember seeing it when it was cold. It's been out for a month, though. You know what has been out for a month? A movie starring David Bowie and Rosanna Arquette that I've never heard of. The Linguini Incident. Is that the book Calvin would read in Calvin and Hobbes? It no. should be. This is the weirdest <laughs> film. I mean, um, it, it takes place in a restaurant that should be in Batman and Robin. It's that art deco that didn't actually ever exist anywhere. <laughs> it starts out with a wacky suicide attempt, uh, followed by David Bowie handcuffing himself to the girl who kind of, sort of, not really was committed suicide, and he does that without her consent. And then he pretends to have millions of dollars to make bets. And when it turns out that he's lying about those millions of dollars, he has to instead get plastic surgery to look like his boss. I swear <laughs> I am not making any of this them is up. This is the worst right. sequel to Midnight Run I've ever heard of. It's very strange. But like Twisty Turny Triple Crosses, we have a couple of those this week. And this is what Rosanna Arquette is. She wants to be an escape artist. Mm -hmm. She and idolizes Houdini. Right. She wants to rob her own restaurant to buy Houdini memorabilia. <laughs> yeah. And then David Bowie is saying, like, I need to marry you to get a green card. But he's actually placed a bet with this millionaire that he could marry a waitress in a week. <sighs> and it's like aggressively quirky. I don't know if I could say it's like good, but it is kind of watchable in the like, what the hell am I looking it at right now? It sounds like six different movies. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Is. it totally is. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, and straight the Linguini incident doesn't have anything to do with Guns N' Roses spaghetti incident. 
I can't tell. I don't think it does. Nor Calvin Hobbes' noodle incident, which was my reference mm-hmm. from earlier. Also out this week, Jesus, Julie Delphi and Marco Hofschneider. Europa, Europa. Oh, damn. Oh, this wow. is my lock of the week, guys. Really? I'm yeah. going to give that the same. Yeah, I, I push you guys hard to watch this. And Chris, I think you're going to want to go back and watch this because okay. when Jojo Rabbit came out a couple years ago, oh. this came back up with critics that I think are cool pointing out it's the only other movie I can think of that's kind of like Jojo Rabbit because Jojo Rabbit. it's also about a kid during World War II confronting the Holocaust in, in a much more comedic way than you're used to seeing, but also has a lot of heart. It's based on a true story that is fucking insane about a German Jewish kid who, you know, the Nazis come to power and his parents are like, let's let's head east. We'll get away from him if we head east, which is a bad idea. Then like the Soviets invade and he gets captured by the Soviets and he's like, oh, thank God, I am a good communist Russian kid. And those bad Germans captured me. And he like <laughs> becomes like a super communist at this commie school and then the germans invade and he goes and the germans capture him and he's like oh thank god my german brothers those commies had captured me i'm so happy to be with you nazi guys and then he's like adopted and goes to a nazi super school p.s he's he's jewish this whole time yeah yeah uh hiding his genitalia is a major plot point throughout the course of the film you have never seen so many dick jokes in a world war ii movie and uh it is fast if this was not a true story there'd be like a couple of moments where you're just like come on but you know okay (laughs) 300 million people fought in world war ii on all the sides combined if you have a one in a million improbable story. Yep. There are 300 people who have an even more improbable <laughs> story about their World War II experience than you did. And that's the protagonist of this film. It's a really good coming of age story of a boy trying to find himself in a incredible time. Because if you look at the timeline, he's 14 at the start of the film and 20 at the end. And in that, he's going through different identities. He's finding different groups of people to try to belong to and keep himself alive in Mm -hmm. and i just think of myself at 14 and myself at 20 and all the changes i went through and i wasn't having to hide being a jew from the nazis during that time (laughs) and all of your friends are nazis and you're at a nazi school yeah as an america i believe you'd stand (laughs) out i demand you accept me for who i am and then you'd get shot in the face and we would not have survived you know, Pass your girlfriend, Julie Delpy, is like a super diehard Nazi and you really care about her, but and she really <laughs> wants to fuck you. But if she sees your dick, you will be shot. Wow. Okay, yeah. but one, just once with Julie Delphi. I know. It. It's so, just, God damn, she's Julie Delphi, but she's just too much of a Nazi. Yeah, Europa, Europa, <laughs> it is a real treat. It's uh, directed by Agnesia Holland, who's, she, she was just on um, Roger Deakins' podcast and like her background's really interesting too. I think she's Polish and like she studied in Czechoslovakia and she like ran around with Agnes, Agnes Varda a lot. And I'm so glad that, I mean, I love Jojo Rabbit so much and I'm so glad that like there is something else kind of like it that there's a people scene can enjoy. Hit- there's a scene where Hitler and Stalin ballroom dance together in this film. <laughs> what amazes me is uh, I think this was either the second or third like World War II movie I ever like saw after I got into history. Once I, I reached freshman year of high school, I really got into history and I was like, I'm going to rent whatever history films I can from my local store, which was a small little place, didn't have a big selection. So I like rented Patton and this. And 
Oh, yeah. Lord. Yeah. And I haven't watched this in 28 years. I rewatched it for the show. I remembered virtually every scene 28 years ago. Wow. It, right. it yeah. was that memorable. It, it really with sticks with you. It's yeah. Visually, it's really interesting because it's such a on the ground. What civilian life is like. Yeah. Kind I'm, of movie. Uh, well, I'm seeing all these other films. I, I was a huge fan of Empire of the Sun in which it's hmm. it, uh, yeah, watching that as a yeah. little kid, uh, watching a little kid navigate avenues of World War II even though he's in Shanghai most of the time, it was fascinating. And uh, how, and that's why I like Jojo Rabbit so much. Bring yourself back to being a little kid. What would you do? Oh, yeah. Boots how, on the ground in the middle of all this. How you, you adapt or you die. Yeah. Even if adapting is like... And you know that as yes, a little kid. Yes, I love Hitler so much. He's so right about everything, everybody. And yeah. it's like, now I'm going to go out with my buddies and pee in the woods. And then a friend walks up and you scream and run away because if they see your dick, you're going to die. <laughs> it's so yeah. bizarre oh and you lose your virginity to a woman who wants to kind of have you pretend to be adolf hitler yeah never again never again <laughs> yeah that's don't, the promise i made uh, don't to, stick your dick in yeah. nazi it's yeah a very important yeah. rule but uh, yeah woo! solomon peril the guy he is still alive i guess at like 97 or so yeah, now something like that it's uh, yeah europa europa it's on criterion channel it's also i found it on some just random channel that just uploaded it for funsies that didn't seem to have a lot of scary pop-up so totally i, I did not expect that to yeah, be like not... i thought there'd be at least one other lock of the week this week and it's like no this one this is the lock of the year i love this movie yeah it doesn't seem to be rentable on amazon so get it where you can um yeah. looks like and don't one. confuse it with europa <laughs> also known as Zentropa from 1991, the Lars von Trier movie, which is also about World War II, but it's not this movie. And don't confuse it with Zuropa, that U2 tour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, really confusing because that's why they rename Europa to Zentropa because two movies called basically the same thing coming out in the same year. Wow. They're both about World War II. It's very confusing. If you if the movie is in black and white, you're watching the wrong one. Okay. Even though I do I do recommend that movie too, but that's not the one you wanted. All right, we got to move on, sadly, to a movie with uh, Anne Marie Johnson, Halle Berry, Joseph C. Phillips, and Tommy Davidson. Uh, strict, oh. Strictly business. Everybody from England Loving Colors getting get, they're getting vehicles, and we'll see if any of them run. Mm-hmm. You ever been to Harlem? You've never been to Harlem before. Hey, home dudes. What is going on? Excuse us. It's about moving up, making the cut. Suiting up for success and making an investment in love. This is love. Take something, man. That ham is cooked, glazed, and ready to be sliced. I like my women glazed. Um, <laughs> no, they're going to eat Halle Berry. Before you get to her, make sure she's glazed. I know I tried to watch this on HBO back in the day, but this is like a, a movie for young men not children <laughs> which i was uh but i'm more interested in tommy davidson than halle berry at this point so so the main character doesn't have a significant conversation with halle berry until about 55 minutes into the film <laughs> um but at that point he's already decided to kind of completely change his life to try to get with halle berry which to be fair this is 1991 Halle Berry we're talking about. So yeah. understandable. She's a smoke show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he didn't really have anything to go on other than she was hot. 
And on that yeah. basis, he was really ready to just risk something that was obviously deeply important to him, his career, which he's obviously cared about. And I think they could have explored that a little bit more. They could have shown him more unhappy with his life than they actually hmm. did. Well, yeah. And that's Joseph C. Phillips is actually the main character. Tommy Davison yeah. is like a guy who works in a mailroom who wants to work his way up. And but I think somewhere in between he's... filming and this release, he becomes the most recognizable person in the movie. Right. Well, and Sam then... Jackson isn't. Yeah, but, we don't know uh... who he is yet. He's, he's got two years before he's like barely building Jurassic Park. And... Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. true. Yeah. He's working his way up. But, but he, he looks almost the exact same age in this film that he does today. I swear to God. <laughs> it, whenever he loses like... the hair, man, he always looks the same age. Yep. So Tommy Davidson has, there's a, another, there's like a black executive at this company who's going to help him out getting into this like training program. But the executive wants his help to get with Halle Berry, who's like a club girl. And this guy, oh, he's such an Oreo. He's a black guy, but he talks like the whitest white guy. And he's got to learn how to be cool and hip and street. Do, do they use that word? Close, mm. um, something like it. Yeah, um, the, the main that's character very much the point. The main character has never been to Harlem. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he goes to Harlem, he locks his car doors. And there's also a scene earlier in the movie where they're talking about how the attempt to gentrify Harlem is never going to work. Whoops. And I Googled it. <laughs> and the average price of a house in Harlem, yeah. according to PropertyShark.com, is $3.4 million yep. today. <laughs> I, w I was there just a few years ago. Great vape stores. If you think you haven't been gentrified, check your vape stores. Mm. Do you have one? This has something like 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's like, I, I want a better vehicle for Tommy Davidson. You'll get like, one. Booty call is really just around funny. the corner. Yeah. Oh, there you go. You're right. Well, I mean, like five years, but I love that film. But this is just, oh boy. But it does have that 90s black aesthetic that I do. Oh, the so shoulder pads and boomerang outfits. Yeah, um... and even just like the logo is sort of like a kente cloth pattern, <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, what is happening? I'm only laughing because it's, it's a weird combination of of bad '90s graphics and kente cloth. I, I couldn't get my Halloween costume off the ground because I couldn't find cheap enough kente cloth because I had to learn what that was. Trying mm -hmm. to make what I think you should leave is Carl Havoc. The um, the thing where there's too much fucking shit on me. He's wearing a Kente vest. And like, I can't spend more than $200 on this vest. <laughs> Sorry, that's my experience. Didn't learn this until just a couple weeks ago. Kente. And then last and very leastly, it's one week after Halloween. That can only mean Christmas. God damn Welcome, it. Diana. Lauren Bacall. Uh, Leslie Lauren Nielsen. motherfucking Bacall <laughs> is in Nielsen. this, and that ain't right. Uh, Jamie Sheridan, Harley Jane Kozak, uh, Ethan Embry, and Thora Birch in All I Want for Christmas. You can't ask Santa Claus for that. <laughs> and a little magic. <laughs> to remind us. Oh, you're back. I'm back. It's a Santa Claus, not Dear Abby. That Christmas is something to believe in. Not all mom and dad should get back together, but I should. Oh. There we go. Wow, this is a theatrical Hallmark movie. Yeah. yeah. I this remember one. I saw this because of Kevin Nealon. Yeah, Kevin Nealon's in there. Yeah, little little tiny baby Thory Birch and little tiny baby Ethan Embry go to Santa, played by Leslie Nielsen, and ask him to get their parents back together. And of yes. course, it turns out that mall Santa maybe was real Santa, and everyone falls in love again. And oh my God, why do we keep doing this to children? Oh my God. It is the worst genre 
of films for kids I can think about yeah. that actually exist. If there was like a genre of film where it was all about how a parent died and then one of the kids killed themselves to go visit their parent in heaven, <laughs> that, would, that would be a worse genre than constantly showing children of divorced kids that if they just wish hard enough and show their parents that their parents really love them, their parents are going to get back together. It's it's an actively harmful message. And I think it's, it's harmful yes. for people like me who view marriage as so terrifying because this is what divorce does to kids. Whereas like everyone I know went through a divorce don't really think about their parents getting back together after a while. It's just not something you wish for. Like, yeah, they fought forever. It was awful. And, yeah. <laughs> and now yeah. they don't. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. There's a really weird out of context clip from this film. I'm wondering <laughs> if I can play it. Go for it. You know who I heard likes you? God, who? Kevin Mars. And he's really into Nazis. God, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was 1991. It was all the rage. So there is, that's out of context. The context is that right before that scene, she says, we're supposed to have a series of discussion points. Do you want to talk about acid rain? Do you want to talk about the election? Do you want to talk about finding Nazis in hiding? And... <laughs> Oh, boy. But but the way she says it, if you take it out of context, it's just such a what the fuck. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no kid should know what a Nazi is until they're 13 years old. Uh, there's also a scene in this movie where the grandmother sings Baby, It's Cold Outside in a duet with the granddaughter. And the whole time, oh. it was just like, oh, this is super awkward, but I'm super happy it's not the grandfather singing this. I wonder what parts, that, what parts are they singing? Is she about to sexually assault her own grandmother? mother <laughs> don't leave grandma it, it, i i definitely can't hear that song it's obviously being sung in an innocent context but i can't imagine that flying in any children's film in 2021 it, the way it's it was just completely unremarkable and sad there aren't more christmas duets i'll say that about for that song all right yeah yeah that's fair mm -hmm. yeah that's what? Totally fair. So, yeah, I'm sure because especially because it's a Christmas movie for kids, I'm sure there's plenty of people that have wonderful memories of all I want for Christmas. Sure. And they're mad at us right now for it's like, yeah, give, give it a break. It's for kids. It's for yeah. Christmas. Like, No, I refuse. Uh, and uh, Kevin Nielsen is in this film yeah. and uh, he's the evil potential stepfather who's basically evil because he's the potential stepfather. <sighs> at the very end of the film, the kids trick him into an ice cream truck, lock him in an ice cream truck that is being driven by a deaf man, and he's being driven like hours and hours away in it. I know it's a like wacky comedy, but he could have died. It's an ice cream truck. <laughs> Don't kill Kevin Nealon. <laughs> yeah. Pieces of shit, kids. Man, it's also now e I'm mad. equally packed era in TV, and it's all over the fucking place. Because I think there's like, it feels like there's two eras being straddled here. Just in the top two. Uh, Silk Stockings debuts on, would that be Showtime? No. USA. No, it moves to USA. Right. I think it would be USA. one of show. the top three networks. CBS. All right. Oh, it debuts okay. on CBS, but. What was I? I was thinking of something that was. Oh, I'm thinking of Red Shoe Diaries. Leave me alone. Right. Um, no, this this is the PG version, not like the R version. This was, where it's uh, a. It's, it's kind of like SVU if SVU were treating everything like it was sexy. <laughs> <laughs>
Very much so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the opening is one of the sexiest openings I can recall for any TV show of the time. This uh, was part of CBS's Crime Time After Prime Time, which is they're trying to go the adult route. It failed. They sell it to USA. It runs for basically the entire 1990s. No one cares about it today. I tried to find reviews on uh, YouTube. Like, does anyone do like a respective? Nothing. You can find Mm -hmm. it all for free on YouTube because no one cares. I looked on Reddit. The only thing I could find is people who misspell their fetish because it's the (laughs) different type of stockings. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I just, I always remember running late nights on USA and they're advertising it was like late nights on USA when it's too hot to sleep. And I, I remember <laughs> be, having, being a basic cable kid and also dying for titillating things to watch. And this was mm-hmm. just like, at least the movies Gilbert Gottfried and Rhonda Shear were showing me had like funny parts in it. This was so yeah. dire and serious and maudlin. It was like impossible to rub one out to. It was it was <laughs> impossible, but it always promised it was offering something like that, and rarely ever did. There was more kink in bad college comedies on uh, Up USA Up All Night. I fucking hated this show. Hated it with a burning passion. How dare you show up after Duckman? You don't deserve <laughs> your post Duckman time slot. I think this description makes me laugh more than the entire series. Quantum leap, the wrong stuff. Sam leaps into the body of a chimpanzee. (laughs) So this is considered one of the worst episodes of Quantum Leap of all time. It's set in a warehouse, so they don't have to spend any period money. It's just because warehouses in 1961 don't look that much different from warehouses today. It's deeply silly uh, because he is a monkey. Normally, he leaps into people, but as the series went on, they started to, like, stretch the real rules. Maybe he can leap into a monkey. Maybe he can leap into Dracula. I swear (laughs) to God, that was an episode later on. But, hey, if you really, really want to see Scott Bakula crouch around in a diaper for 40 minutes, (laughs) this is the episode for you. Because the monkey is wearing a diaper, so Scott Bakula has to wear a diaper for the entire... And some behind-the-scenes things... I learned that it was very hot in the warehouse, so to keep cool, Scott Bakula roller skated. So I hope to God, somewhere out there, there's a picture of Scott Bakula roller skating in a monkey diaper. Oh, good Lord. Wow. I miss this show. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked this concept has not been brought back a thousand times uh, um, already. It could man, work. You could reboot I, it as a high-quality show. I think, I think people are still demanding an actual ending. Did they not yeah. give the show an actual ending? No, they didn't. No, no, they did the uh, the adventure continues indefinitely. Wow! Speaking of meta television programming, one of my favorite shows at the time, Get a Life, has its uh, season two come out. Shortened season two, and this will be the last season. Chris moves out at the ripe age of thirty one. <laughs> Chris Elliott <laughs> tells his parents, also played by his real dad, uh, Bob Elliott, moving out of his parents' house and into a retired cop's house, played by Brian Doyle Murray. I can't do it, yeah. Brian Doyle Murray. Yeah. I, I don't I go back and forth. I loved this show when it came out. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've said previously, I never got in trouble for imitating wrestling moves or rap lyrics. I got in trouble twice for repeating things I heard on Get a Life. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty filthy and mean show. Yeah. yeah. I just using like I'd never heard a human use the word prostitute before. And then it, <laughs> And and then I I used slip me a Mickey because I heard him say this filthy prostitute slip me a Mickey and I said that in my goddamn gifted class in third grade. Um, 
Yeah, I got written up for that. Thank you, Chris <laughs> Elliott. You owe me. I would love to be the teacher writing that out. Oh, dear God, I've got to write this out. And then Chris said, oh, God damn it, I don't want to write this. <laughs> we were improvising sketches. I thought anything goes, ma'am. But, uh, so I like this as a bit of a soft reboot to the series. Yeah. Because in season one, Chris was pretty much the only wacky character. You know, mm -hmm. if you think about like adult swim comedies today or, or the more out there comedies today, it's composed of many, many wacky characters. In the first season, like Chris was the only person living in cloud cuckoo land, crazy land. Who and here- had a, Having he, metatextual monologues about being on a television show. Like exactly. a character clearly aware he's on a television show. But here he's moving in with a cop who is really deeply insane so they can bounce <laughs> off of each other a lot more. And I think that uh, kind of improved the series. Yeah, I, I I had it on DVD and I'd rewatch it a lot. But I, I always, when I watch it now, it's like I detest the sitcom format so much. No matter how well they send it up, it still doesn't seem that funny to me. And then the last shot in this episode is like everything's going to be so much better from here on out. And he goes to sleep, and the camera pulls out, and there are spiders all over his blanket. Uh, the trash in the middle of the floor is on fire, and then it pans all the way out, and Brian Doyle Murray is using like an old Rolling Stone sharpener to sharpen an axe like next to it. And like it, it is all right. Like okay, that is above and beyond even for 1991. <laughs> is the second season when he started to die? Or yes. Did he die in the first season. Just I think he he did die once or twice in the first season, but he starts they start doing it a lot. Where okay. I, I remember, like, I stopped watching the show because I thought I saw the last episode because the main character clearly died. And <laughs> 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 would be back next week. Yeah, man, the show's worth tracking down. I think all of it's on YouTube. I'll never forget those DVDs because it's just like you had the option to watch without the laugh track, which was needed to let you know it's a sitcom parody. And he's like, what you'll hear is the many laughs of a jaded film crew who are genuinely <laughs> laughing at, like, is this, are we really shooting this? You can hear people like mystified. Did he just say that on a sitcom? Holy fuck. I did rewatch this and it had with the laugh track and it was painful mm -hmm. to listen to anything with the laugh track these days. Mm -hmm. I just can't stand no, I'm, it. No, I'm with I'm you. Just... And the, the original like four episodes per single Snapcase DVD. And then a movie I could not find much about or any promos and nor a well-written review. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a great title I posed for Playboy also called Posing, inspired by three true stories. It's a housewife played by Linda Carter, a stockbroker played by Michelle Green, and an Ivy League honor student played by Amanda Peterson decide to pose nude for Playboy. So three very different <laughs> women make a decision to pose nude, and let's see how the so, world reacts. I'll bet not well. Not well. <laughs> uh, so all the women as presented in this fictionalized version, were happy with their experience in Playboy in and of itself. The housewife, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, yeah. still rocking it, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, just yeah. uh, really impressive. And she's feeling like I'm not sexy anymore and going through the Playboy experience kind of helps awaken her sexuality. The stockbroker is feeling like she's only seen as one of the guys and her experience is positive in that regard. The Ivy League honor student feels like she's too repressed and she's always competing with her partying sister and her experience is positive. And then their magazines came out and everyone treats them badly because yep. of it. I, I was, it's cheesy. It's super cheesy, but I really think it's worth examining today in the days of OnlyFans because I feel like it wouldn't be nearly as detrimental today 
as it was in 1991. I'm not saying it wouldn't be any detrimental, but I do think as a society, it's more acceptable today than it was in 1991. Yeah, I think people are much more, we all pretend collectively like the fappening never happened. <laughs> all those people had their nudity exposed and like, I'm a gentleman on the internet. I'm not going to go looking for that. Um, yep. <laughs> era of OnlyFans where people can like, ooh, I'm climbing up the list. I'm achieving some notoriety and financial success out of this. I, I actually know more people than I expected that are making a decent part, living or part of their living on OnlyFans, hmm. uh, men and women. Tip I've guys been doing in. pretty well with mine where I, I sit there wearing eight layers of clothing and berate people <laughs> oh, about yeah. their, their movie choices. I'm just like, what I'm, are you watching? Don't watch that. What's I'm wrong at, with you? I'm out there courting conservative men and women, so look for a profile named Dick Chainsaw. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll be, I was also reading it's it had they changed the name to have Playboy in the title, and there is like no real eroticism in this. Well, uh, there is. They some added it. They added it for the video. Yes, including oh, yes. including it doubles wasn't nude when it aired on network television. But it was released on home video, and the nudity does seem like tacked on. They tacked used on. they used body doubles. <laughs> yeah, but they they they, po they put the name Playboy in it. Got people, little kids like me to watch, and kind of cho told a mature story. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, this is not titillation town. This is let's explore our female sexuality and be hurt by society because we are exercising our freedom. Yeah. Honestly, the story of this film. How dare you make me pay to see you naked? Salat. <laughs> uh, I'm so mad that I'm aroused right now. <laughs> Gonna take it out on you. Um, not uh, myself. Nah. Thanks for making me feel weak, lady. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, if anyone could make you feel weak, it's fucking Wonder Woman. Yeah, man. Linda Carter, man, she is so cool. Yeah, very cool. One of the few people I have an autograph picture from that I haven't thrown out. Oh, uh, nice. And uh, the the big video game of this week, and I I mean big because I was really into this from the moment I saw it in magazines, and it plays this wonderfully clever trick that presents a two D game that looks like a real movie, Another World slash. Sadly, how I will always remember it, Out of This World. That's how it was presented in America, but it is you buy it today as another world. But if you remember Out of This World in your Super Nintendo, yeah, like you're just this kid who wakes up in an alien prison, and it's a not a side-scroller. You have to do a bunch of weird trial and error things. It's mm. much more like an adventure game yes. than it is anything else. It's very <laughs> much you are going to have to experiment because everything on this planet wants to kill yep. you. But, like, but no inventory. Be, you don't really no have much inventory. of an inventory. So I know uh, games discussion is saved for the other show, but no, I will you... say this is the only game where I have died twice before I realized I was starting the game. Okay. <laughs> this game starts you out with a cinematic cutscene, and it's just looking cinematic, and then you start out in a tank. And if you don't do the proper action, you sink in the tank and you die. And it says, to be continued. Do you want to continue? And you do that again. And I was like, wait, when did the game start? And then it, it went through the opening cutscenes again. And I'm in the tank and I'm going, well, what do I do? And I don't know how to get out of the tank because it hasn't really shown me how to move anything. And then I die a second time. And then I finally learn how to get out of the tank and start the game. And so, yeah, died twice before I realized I was actually playing the game. I, I played this game for hours and then... I streamed it with Brett, and he remembered what to do. And I think that stream is like 
15, 20 minutes. You go to your jail cell door, look out your jail cell door, call this rhino over, then drop the piano on this alien at this exact time and he'll, <laughs> a key will slide underneath your door. And this is all happening like impressively in real time, like on the, the yeah. same machine running for me, Super Mario World. If you know what specifically to do, you can finish the game very, very quickly. <laughs> I, I just think of it as Groundhog Day. Like every time yeah. he dies... He just remembers how he died, and that's how you're doing it. You're just remembering yep. all your previous deaths. Yeah, and it's nowhere near as frustrating huh. as Dragon's Lair, and you will die about as many times. And way more interactive. Again, we'll talk more about this on uh, Patreon.com slash LaserTime with the Vigigame Apocalypse boys. Vigigame Apocalypse this week. I think we're talking about first-person characters who literally kick. I should have made that sound more exciting. 1991 <laughs> music. Uh, November 5th through uh, the 11th. That's how we do math. Um, new releases include uh, Bandwagon-esque by Teenage Fan Club. <laughs> I have not thought about that band in a long time. Shepherd Moons by Enya. No Jive by Nazareth. Bitter Blue by Bonnie Tyler. Real Love by Lisa Stansfield. And Tupacalypse now, the debut of Tupac Shakur, oh. the famous Jewish oh, rapper. Fucking hell. Yeah, he's, uh, it's been... <laughs> The amount of time between now and his debut is longer than he was alive. Good job, everybody. Wow. Oh, that's the kind of thing JR would have pointed out to me. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of nuts. The, my God. 30 years ago. Yeah. He's been when, lo he's been lost yeah. more than we ever the had him. It's tough to think about. Yeah. Well, he was only well, 25. Yeah. yeah we, we had him for as a active force for five years. Wow. Was it really that uh, short? Yeah. 1991 to 1996, so he's been dead about five times as long as he was an active singer in the, the scene. Yeah, I guess as I was yeah. so young it felt like much, 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 much more. Uh, but fortunately for everyone on the internet who doesn't read, he's still alive. And <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> So we'll look forward to that eventual teaming with Andy Kaufman. I'm, I'm waiting for him to appear with JFK Jr. Yeah. and then they're going to run for president. There we go. But we're going to close out with Cream by Prince and the New Power Generation because it is number one this week. Again, yeah. like, I feel like we're between eras here in 1991. We don't know if we want to be the 90s or the 80s yet. We're trying to figure it out. Um, we're but, moving into the 90s, but yeah. we can still have... Uh, Prince this, can, is very this is very suggestive for Princess Cream radio. Oh, okay. Well, let's uh, just... Yeah, Cream, get on top. Yeah, yeah, it's a little... Well, let's a little suggestive. Let's hear a little but bit. But who of that. cares? This album's cool. So, yeah. all right. Well, let's hear a little bit of that. But uh, stick around, people. We got to talk about perhaps one of the worst Jack Black movies when we get back. Get ready to go jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. The holidays came early here at Laser Time, courtesy of Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. There is nothing worse than untrimmed body hair and pubes around the holidays. You really don't want to look like the abominable snowman or Santa's beard is coming out of your shirt or pants. You older gentlemen with white or gray pubes know exactly what I'm talking about. And yes, it may be sweater season, but you don't want to have the world's worst ugly sweater made out of body hair. You need to keep that hair in check with the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. There's no better gift for yourself or a loved one we can think of than the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. It comes with everything you need to trim your tree and the hair down there. Hair down there. 
Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver, an anti chafing ball deodorant, moisturizer, and toner to keep your South Pole feeling and smelling fresh all day long. The Performance Package 4.0 even comes with a classic stocking stuffer, a pair of Manscaped anti-chafing boxers that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. It's the perfect package for your perfect package. Speaking of stocking stuffers, Manscaped is going beyond the groin and has some amazing new products that make great gifts like their new Ultra Premium Body Wash. It's infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. They also launched their new 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner, which has key ingredients with benefits that include hydrating, nourishing, conditioning the scalp, and strengthening your hair at the same time. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, your husband, and friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LASERTIME at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code LASERTIME, one word, at manscaped.com. Make Santa proud this year. Add Manscaped to your wish list this season. Your, your balls, balls will, will thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Mom. Coming into 2001 with 5 million ways to kill a CEO off of party music by The Coup, which was supposed to come out September 11th. <laughs> oh my Ooh. God. Uh, but was. But, mm. <laughs> but unlike a lot of other things that were supposed to come out September 11th, they really needed to pull this one and change the cover. Yeah. Because the original cover is Boots Riley and Pam the Functress standing at the base of the World Trade Center while the giant explosion happens. Ooh. Yeah. Do you do you not see like this happening like last week and all of a sudden this group would be attached to 9-11 conspiracies for the rest of their lives? Yeah. They knew, yeah. man. They yeah. knew. Boots Riley. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> sorry to bother you, but you're part of it. Sorry to bother you. And so just this, you know, leftist funk album. Better Times. Uh, new releases also out that week. Are You Missing Winter by The Fall. White Lily's Island by Natalie Imbruglia. Diary of a Sinner First Entry by uh, Petey Pablo. Faithfully by Faith Evans. Clever. Life by Dope. Music to Make Love to Your Old Lady by by Lovage. Playing With My Friends by Tony Bennett. Uh, Relative Ways uh, by Annual Notice by The Trail of the Dead. Uh, and The Road Less Traveled by George Strait. And Beneath the Encasing of Ashes. The debut of As I Lay Dying. Family Affair by Mary J. Blige is still number one. We mm. still have hateration in this dancery. Oh, <laughs> yeah, let's move into our movies of 2001 because the news is all very depressing and World Trade Center related <laughs> for the most part during this period. Tape with Ethan Hawke, uh, Robert Sean Leonard, and Uma Thurman. Ooh, I guess and they're still married. Ethan Hawke direct it. this? Yeah. No, no. Link letter. Right. Because I remember this got great reviews, and I couldn't, well, it, I couldn't find it forever. It's very arty. Mm -hmm. It all takes place in a motel room. Mm -hmm. uh, it's shot almost documentary style. 
I'm not sure if it's real time, but if it's not real time, it's pretty darn close it's, to real time. I'm pretty it feels very real time. Yeah, and so the basic plot is a uh 28-year-old guy who does a lot of drugs and has a script for what you're going to say in his head and will get very mad at you if you go off the script he has made at for you tries to convince <laughs> his alleged best friend to admit to rape which he is secretly taping that confession of hence the name tape that he will then either give to the police or give to the woman uh his friend confesses to raping yep and now we're also into twisty turny double and triple cross time because then uma thurman is the woman as she shows up and it turns out oh she's a district attorney now and she's getting everyone to admit to everything. And now she says, I'm calling the cops on you and you got three minutes. You better run. Oh, wait, did I call the cops? Did I tell them what you actually did or did I make something up? Oof. And yeah, I mean, it's obviously real stagey because we're just in one room with three people. But it has been a minute since I watched this. I didn't rewatch it for the show. Sorry. But I did just really like it. It's tense. It's interesting. Dialogue keeps moving. It's got a neat look to it. I didn't realize it's uh, cinematographer's Mary Salberti, who is one of my favorites. Uh, the, she did the, she did Creed, and she got robbed for an Oscar. And I mean, it's we we just had Waking Life, so obviously Linkletter's in a very experimental phase right now of doing things sort of low budget and weird and hands on. And it's like, yeah, tape fits in there pretty nice. Yeah, but where yeah. these 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 experimental films are making money somehow, it's just kind of. Mm -hmm. A different era where someone can put out this much product, have it be this different, and yeah, yeah, like within yeah, weeks of they're one cheap. This this costs yeah. like a hundred grand, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the end of the show, we're going to be talking about something that is dog shit that costs eighty million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you should be watching this little practically a home movie shot like in their house. And I can't. There, just... There's definitely a Rashomon feel to this movie because uh, Uma Thurman denies that she was ever raped by Robert Leonard. Mm -hmm. And Ethan Hawke is not a reliable person either because he has his own issues involved. So there's definitely some questions by the end. What actually happened that night that the movie does not answer? Yep. Which is how I like it. <sighs> and I, I don't want to know. I, I just want to preface this whole week, the next three movies, um, as someone very, very much into reading about and seeing every movie the movie i wanted to see the most disappointed me the movie that was best reviewed i didn't like and mm -hmm. the movie that is crit middling critically is the next one which i liked at the time but has that same failing that's not the f not the movie's fault the girl i was seeing who moved into her own place and had no cable this is one of eight movies on repeat that I have seen 1,100,000 times to the point no. where I'm absolutely sick of it. Mary Steenburgen, Jenna Malone, Hayden Christensen, Kristen Scott Thomas, and Kevin Klein. My life as a house. And now <sighs> I think of it as it just like movies about these kind of white people. I'm just fucking sick. <laughs> just totally yeah. Sick. I mean, I it's mean... Not like he doesn't have a real problem. He's going to die. It's yeah. not like. His problem is nothing. He's right. I, I know, I'm but sad yeah. because I'm successful. Yes. Yeah. No. The uh, life and I is live. A house. I live on my gorgeous ultra million dollar beachfront property in a house that some consider too small. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> what if I spend yeah. the rest of the movie building a larger one? Yeah. So yeah, Kevin Klein is was like an architect, architectural draftsman. He finds out he's got cancer, and he decides like I'm going to build my dream house on this plot of land I had with like a shack on it that my dad left me. And Kristen Scott Thomas is his ex-wife, and Hayden Christensen is his kind of dirtbag punk teenage son who he like recruits to help him 
do this and they can reconnect and stuff. And it's it's a good old fashioned tearjerker. It's like, you know, terms of endearment kind of tearjerker mm-hmm. that is like, you know, everything that's going to happen in this. And yet, like the performances are so committed yeah. that I kind of didn't care. And this is Chris- Hayden Christensen's kind of breakout. Like he's I'm sure he's already done filming Star Wars Attack of the Clones. It, but it was this gets him a ton that yeah. he was going to do it. I don't know if he's filmed it or not. Yeah, I wouldn't I'm, I'm be surprised sure. if he has, or he might have just I'm left sure Life of the yeah, House I'm and sure gone straight to it because you know there was so much effects work that that would take a while, and it's coming out next year. But like, I mean, he got a lot of praise because yeah, he's he's pretty good. Poor guy. I mean, oh, I, yeah, if, to me, every, every, everyone who everyone who gives that guy shit, I'm like, you have never seen him in another movie, have you? Yeah, yeah, because he plays a whiny teenager in this yes. film, and mm-hmm. he does it so much better than in two. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I've, he, I've watched these recently. From my perspective, you are the evil one. It's mostly the dialogue of George Lucas. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> it's not good. But, so, but one thing I didn't expect in this movie: Mary Steenburgen's butt. You will see it, and okay. uh, I, I remember like jumping out of my chair. Did I just see your? Wow, I just saw the woman from Back to the Future 3's butt. I'm very excited by this. <laughs> so to me, this is a Memento Mori film. Its whole mm. point is to remind us, the audience, that we are going to die. And that's directly stated in the film itself. Dad, are you dying? We're all dying. Clever. But I'm going to die in about four months or less. But of course, any of us could have a brain tumor, get hit by a car, whatever. We all have this limited time on Earth. And this movie is sappy, but it did really touch me in that way because it's just a reminder that we have to bend our time as wisely as we can. The film that most reminded of me, which I will highly recommend to anyone, is Kurosawa's Ikiru. Oh, that's a stab in the chest. That Yeah, yeah. But it's a very (laughs) similar plot. It's about a Japanese bureaucrat with cancer. He knows he's going to die. He doesn't know what to do with the time he has left. So he dedicates that time to building a park. That is very, very similar Mm. to uh, Kevin Klein deciding to build a house with his son. You know, it's leaving something for after we're gone. Because the legacy we leave is never for us. Because we are not going to experience our legacy. Yeah, I mean, overall... Uh, it is very sappy it's very pretty looking and it uh, oh yeah it, it's a great example of actors elevating their material yes and i mean where and, it's like there is a version of this that is you know made for hallmark and you fucking hate it it's just too dumb and yet you, you get in someone kevin klein who can do literally everything mm-hmm. and do it incredibly well and it's like damn it now i care oh why'd you do that to me movie so yeah, it looks yeah. like it was May of 2000 that Hayden Christensen was confirmed as oh, shit, Anakin okay. Skywalker. But I think if, so, if yeah, I recall, yeah. this is like the first, this or Shattered Glass is the first thing I was able to see what Darth Vader can do in a movie. Yeah, Shattered so, Glass is later. Yeah, okay. I, I just, again, like I saw this movie, it didn't do that well critically, and I liked it the most, as opposed to the next two films, which I didn't like at all, and are all mm. diametrically opposed critically. Uh, it, yep. it was just my, my lady wearing it out at the house over and over and over again. Oh, uh, I can see that. Yeah. I didn't even, I just remember glancing at that. Is that that, is that, that David Mamet movie? And like, oh, Ricky Jay's in it. Of course it is. Yeah, um, Rebecca Pigeon's in it. Of course it is. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Sam Rockwell, Delroy Lindo, Danny DeVito, and Gene Hackman in Heist. How'd you figure it out? I tried to imagine a fellow smarter than myself. And then I tried to think, what would he do? I need you to suit up. What was the deal? Well, the deal was we get away with the gold. And then what? We slip away. You slip away. 
plan has changed. Where's the gold? In the heart of the pure. You can't run. Go, go, go. You know they'll hunt you down. Gene Hackman, Danny DeVito, in a film by David Mamet. You want to run the show? Come on! Heist. Joe! Rated R. It's always fun now to watch anything with the world's most unlikely movie star, Gene Hackman. Gruff, yep. not pretty oh, man. Oh, she point out Sam Rockwell is in Strictly Business also. So oh, is he? Oh, that's right. He's like the only white dude in that movie. Um, yeah, and uh, this one, Delroy Lindo sucker punches him in the gut so hard. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> He's such I, a little bitch in this. I, I gotta ask, is this Gene Hackman's last great performance? I mean, Royal Tenenbaums, Ooh. it's like he could have died after that, and that would have been like a... That's, even if you don't like okay. the movie, it's a great performance that's for fair. someone that's leaving fair. like leaving the field. <laughs> right. That's true. It would have been a great retirement in like, like a month's time. Is it or really? I think it might be Christmas. It's like Christmas Day. So yeah. No like, shit. Because yeah, yeah, he's it's done. Yeah, He's oh four is when he's done. I nope. I don't know why I know what Welcome yeah. to Mooseport, but I do. <laughs> but yeah, I just yeah. I remember not being moved by this at all. It's just like I it's don't a know. magician's trick more than a movie. Yeah. It's watch yeah. these sleights of hands. Watch how I form this trick, and then at the very end, you'll have figured out what the trick was. Uh, yeah. I would say most of the characters are one dimensional. At no point in the film do I think any female character really had any sense of character to her. Oh, no. Yeah. Even yeah. Rebecca Pigeon, who's yeah, in even all Mammoth who's stuff, a- because she's they're married or they're just together. Yeah. I mean, the basic plot is uh, Gene Hackman, Delroy Lindo, Ricky Jay are a team of thieves. And we see them doing, you know, cool, complicated, trickery thieving of like a jewelry store and then. I guess Rebecca Pigeon's in the group too, but like she doesn't, she really doesn't get much to do. And then gets to they're working. Betray, yeah, they're know. working for Danny DeVito, who's like, no, you can't get out. I have to, one last job you have to do. And I'm going to make Sam Rockwell, my dirtbag nephew, come along with. And then there's lots of uh, double and triple crossing as they do a cool heist. The dialogue was really weird. Like, this is not. It's mammoth. Mean, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But it's like, not as mammothy as mammoth. It's weird that I just watched Homicide from 1991, which is like super mammothy. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot less so. And you can actually and see him evolving as a director where this doesn't right. feel like a film state stage play. I mean, it's weird because this did not very well at the box office and then just killed it on dvd so like yeah, this is I, the kind I, of movie that, like no one wants to spend money to watch this do i need to watch this on a big screen i don't know well, I let's the pick DVD. it up on the weekend anyway and and as rick and morty predicted it's perfect for netflix you could sell this in a second uh yeah. is it a heist movie i'll let you decide and yeah it's like <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely a heist movie. i'm joking but it just... um i mean there's double crosses along the way it it is very much that rick and morty episode where it's like <laughs> i knew that you know but did you know that i know and that goes on for about five minutes and <laughs> The very end is Gene Hackman knowing not only that he would be double-crossed, but he'd be double-crossed in such a way that they'd let him live, which to me is kind of like, you're really going to let this guy live after you're stealing all of his life savings? Mm. And okay, fine. I mean, this film is not a character study, and there's not much action in it. Yeah. it's a it's it's an odd duck of a film. I, yeah, I remember I mean, it twenty being twenty one uh, and very disappointed. If I want, I don't know why I keep coming back to this. Maybe it's just because we talk about Mammoth lately. But it's like if I want my Mammothy Devil and Triple Crosses, I feel like Spanish Prisoner is where I like to go. Mm-hmm. And that's not a great movie, but I just just enjoy it more. But I mean, as a as a we got to get a crew together and go heist stuff movie. It's all right. It's okay. Mm. It's just yeah. There's always there's better. Okay, yeah. if you really want to get into. Oh, Christ. Ooh, not great movies. Tony Robbins. 
<laughs> Joe Vitrielli, guess I'm saying that right. Jason Alexander, who was great in this, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Jack Black in his like big breakout starring kind of debut at this point. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I was a big Tenacious D fan, so that's why I, I'm like, what? The guys from There's Something About Mary are making a movie with Jack Black? Hell yeah, I'll be here day one for Shallow Hal. This November, from this moment on, whenever you meet someone, you're only going to see their inner beauty. The world's most shallow guy. You're saying that all the pretty girls I've met lately aren't really pretty. Holy cow. Is about to get deeper. I saw a knockout. I don't care what anybody else saw. 20th Century Fox presents... I fell in love with Rosemary. You want to see a splash? Shallow Al. Billy? Daddy! Rated PG 13. Uh. <laughs> She's really fat. If you want to unpack everything in this movie, I think you're going to need about 20 to 30 suitcases. Because, mm. yeah, yeah. It's, to me, if you've seen Funny People, there's this scene where Adam Sandler's fictional character is having this montage of all these horrible comedies, his fictional version of himself. Yes. In. <laughs> yeah. This could be one of those. I didn't mean comedies. this young. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is it. And, uh, yeah, you know. Uh, that, that high, low concept comedy movie. This sucks. So, <laughs> This was written by a blind man. What? And it was. It was. I'm not I'm not joking about that. And he wanted to try to get across his point that uh, we can look beyond beauty. It's the, what's the person inside that matters. He probably said that um, while feeling my face. <laughs> and this movie is not good. I mean, I would say it's it's probably maybe the worst thing that everyone involved yes. in it has been in. Agreed. Like it could very well be the worst Farley Brothers film, the worst Jack Black, Black film, worst Gwyneth Paltrow. I think film, I think it's worst some it's some because me myself and me myself and Irene is not like a great film, but it did really well, yeah. and people would have seen Ugh. pretty much anything after. There's something about Mary and that, and Forgiven Osmosis Jones, mm-hmm. uh, which is not ter- not egregiously terrible by any means, but this is just like it fucking sucks, and it doesn't. Ugh. I feel like the, their next couple movies are almost redemptions from just how. Out loud, this is like needlessly offensive and crass because it's, you know, it's so weird because, yeah, the whole point is uh, Jack Black is, you know, a really shallow guy. Tony Robbins hypnotizes him into seeing people's inner beauty instead. And he sees Gwyneth Paltrow. And when he sees Gwyneth Paltrow, she's wicked hot. But everyone else sees, you know, just a great big fat person. And, you know, everywhere he goes, he keeps seeing these beautiful women and, and he's like learning to become, you know, less of a dick. And then he realizes that she's well, I want to let you know, I appreciated your Silence of the Lambs. Just You're welcome. References. Yeah. And, well, you know, and then he like realizes there are his ways, but yada, yada, yada. And it's obviously, yes, it's very offensive to bigger people because she's not even that big but of course she's you know portrayed as breaking every chair and eating entire you know sinking canoes sinking canoes and sending children into the sky when she you know cannonballs and god damn it and yet here's the weird thing this movie ends up having like more heart than it should oh I, I did want to bring this up. I I am ashamed of, to admit this. This movie made me cry. Okay, wow. when, yeah. when, he, when he goes to the burn unit and he's seeing the kids as beautiful, and then the spell is removed, and he sees them as burned kids. That made me tear up. You yeah, know? yeah, um, and just it's weird that you know, and that it's starring Jack Black, who's you know also not conventionally attractive, and so it's like I feel like they're trying to make a point 
there as well. So but, it's, but they like should I... have had a conventionally attractive man because it is Jack Black who is, you know, not conventionally attractive. And every single unconventional woman he talks to and sees as beautiful is like smitten and amazed mm. that a man is talking to them. And if it had been someone stunningly gorgeous, that might have been more believable. No, but I, I think they're making a point there with it not being that, yeah, these mm. women, he, he's a guy who, you know, he, who's a four who thinks he's a <laughs> who 10. Who believes he has okay. more options and he's allowed to be more picky and he is not. Right. So he's already, he's delusional about, you know, himself mm. in, in that superficial sort of way that he's delusional about everybody else. And so, yeah, if it was like, you know, this, this stunning guy in the middle of it, it's like, well, he'd be right to be delusional because look at him. He's fucking hot. Okay. That's so fair. yeah, I, that's fair. I like the point. Also, uh, I recently found out that the, the uh, gag at the end where we find out Jason Alexander has a vestigial tail that wags when he's happy, like a dog. Uh, it's brought to us by Patton Oswalt during punch up. Thanks guys. Uh, wow. Oh. All right. Wow. Yep. Okay. He wrote that gag for them. I remember the only thing I laughed at <sighs> and still laugh at is him calling Tony Robbins banana fingers. Uh, <laughs> Tony Robbins should have more cameos. He's a force in this film. He is. Yeah. A, but he it is it is, it is weird. He is the MacGuffin amulet that, <laughs> that right that cha <laughs> like changes everything. Like if. But this guy goes around town peddling that he can do that. You know that, right? He's a Fairly Brothers. This is a real scam artist. And you just told the whole world he can really do this, mm. which he cannot. Mm. Uh, that, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, what yeah. Is uh, the final thing I do want to mention is that I think the movie also made a mistake in showing literally every single quote unquote ugly person has a heart of gold and is beautiful inside. And mm. uh, we see the reverse often, but yeah. we, we never see it's like there are some people who are ugly who also have ugly insides that's a thing too True. and the movie yeah. does not acknowledge that or and there are people that. on of medium heat on both yeah. ends hello mm -hmm. i'm right here yeah. and, uh, i'm right uh, that's that, the majority of people right yeah. there i, I yeah. thought that, that i thought this movie would be deeper because there i think was a behind the scenes thing they showed because what the paltrow Ooh, this wouldn't go over today also plays the bigger version of herself in a fat mm -hmm. suit and in the the dvd you can see her Several times they take a camera and they follow her out in the, into the real actual world. Oh, wow. And, that sounds mm. way more interesting than the movie. Yeah. And she's like, here's what this is what happened with when me, Gwyneth Paltrow, walks into a hotel bar. Everybody stops. Everybody wants to talk to me. And here's what happens when I walk out in a fat suit where I still look like me. And you just watch people like, you know, kind of like avoiding her. <laughs> Uh, in the mm, exact same wow. scenario. And she's just walking around alone as, at this point, fresh off of an Oscar win, one of the biggest movie stars that we have, <laughs> uh, being ignored and oftentimes deliberately by men and women all over, uh, everywhere. And I just wow. thought, that's, that's like... That would have been a more fun documentary to watch, like all of that. Mm, much so. Yeah, but I, this movie, it's totally uh, unfulfilling and... I think it. I think it changed the movies the Far Fairly Brothers made after that because I. I don't really question where their heart is after like Stuck on You or they really do seem to be like bigger bleeding hearts after this where they're not making a ton of jokes at other people's expense and cast a lot of like real disabled people whenever mm -hmm. they make a movie like that instead of just putting Gwyneth Paltrow in a fat suit. It's it's strange that way where it's like yeah it's offensive to big people definitely. Mm -hmm. It, you know, and some of the just feel mean spirited, and yet the movie itself doesn't feel mean spirited. Yeah. It's, it's like there's there's got to be a way where you can balance this better. And also, 
so many of the jokes are not funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's just part of the problem is it's not even that they're at someone's expense or not. It's like, that's just not, yeah, I think not I, a good gag. So many of the jokes are like those expensive jokes the Three Stooges wish they could have done with fat people. Mm. but mm. they actually are able to pull off here because it's a big Hollywood picture. Uh, even that pool scene is like kind of, that cannonball scene is like, well, shit, <laughs> how did you do that? <laughs> I don't know. I do not recommend it. Even no, though it's no. I don't recommend it, no. Uh-uh. Uh, and no one wants to talk about this film. I mean, yeah. you will not find interviews from any of these famous people where they're like, oh yeah, let, let's, let's talk about Shallow How. And I think, uh, no. juxtapose that with what comes out on television this week. It's Oof. fucking Oof. incredible. Yes. An incredible week for television in 2001. We have the recess finale, which um, Sarah's usually the youngest one here. I would make her dive mm. on that grenade. So I've uh, never seen recess. I never heard of recessed. I watched the finale. It was very interesting. I, I think this could be a cartoon show I could watch with my kids because jumping it- into the finale with no knowledge of everything else. This finale to me was just like, these are a bunch of kids. They have adventures they're going to continue having adventures and i like seeing kids have adventures that's fun okay and um up next law and order formerly famous rip from the headlines episode starring gary Busey as a former lounge singer who may have killed his wife it turns out she was a con artist what yeah definitely it's just not robert blake this is not robert blake Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't put that together. Beretta. Yeah. All right. Can, yeah. can you just imagine Gary Busey's agent selling him on this? Gary, we want you in a TV show. What's the title? Formerly Famous. <laughs> You're going to play the title role, Gary. Uh, don't worry, Gary. It's an acronym. Oh, you mean F as in fear? O as in oh, fear. I'm not going to do a fucking... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did not see this one. I did. This is yeah. one of the, I think one of the last Treehouse of Horrors I tuned in for live. Yeah, me mm. too, actually. This, this is week. the very last one I saw live. Simpsons um, season 13. I, I, yeah. I, I, I pushed wanna... past Halloween because of stupid baseball. It's the second episode baseball pushed to Halloween. And the latest an episode has ever been pushed. It's November mm. 6th. Whereas the last one at least aired like within 24 hours of Halloween, which is almost acceptable. I do want to point out that this has a Harry Potter parody before the, the Harry Potter yeah. films came up. Yeah. I cannot imagine a major TV show parodying a book, book that doesn't have a TV or film out about it. Can you- so, I, yeah, this this is the this, this season of The Simpsons I kind of checked out on in general. And I... Hmm. It previously had blamed The Simpsons on that, but like this is when my adult social life starts, and ah. a lot of that is Sundays. Yeah, nine eleven really got us <laughs> out and about and enjoying one another's company. Um, <laughs> so nine eleven actually ties into this episode because there is a controversy. Executive producer Ian Maxitone Graham ah. says that they removed the scary names due to the September eleven attacks. However, current showrunner Al Jean says the scary names were dropped because they were tired of writing them and they were too difficult to come up with. And meanwhile, they've done them for 20 years. I don't think I believe Al Jean. (laughs) They've continued Hmm. to do them to this day, including names like, insert scary name here, in in much better Fox animation news. (laughs) Yes. Yes! Yes. I never, like, I, I love, I watched this alone in repeated lines from this to no one. And then, like, I think, Later on in life, like someone, I don't know you, like, oh <laughs> shit, you saw this. And then now where the internet is, like, this is one of the most famous episodes of King of the Hill. And I was yep. definitely here this week for the episode Bobby's Nuts. <laughs> if you don't know what the episode is, it involves self-defense. Give me your purse. 
Now! That's my purse. Don't be afraid to shout it. That's my purse! <laughs> Try it again. That's my purse! I don't know you! <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, yes, so, it starts yeah, out, the, the joke being that Bobby's in a, a woman's self-defense class. And that's where he yep. gets his catchphrase from. Yep. Uh, but he yeah. learns that kicking people in the nuts is a good way to defend yourself. <laughs> and he just starts kicking everyone in the nuts. He, he goes mad with power. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I, I remember I think either my sister or one of her friends did the same thing where like all of a sudden I am physically imposing because of kicking someone in the nuts. And like they had to have a talking to like. You cannot go around kicking people in the nuts. That is so cruel over every single dilemma. And I say that as someone who just overcame appendix surgery, which for like 24 hours felt like that's exactly what happened to me. Life was Mm. kicking me in the nuts. But this is a hilarious episode. I watched it for the very first time. I was aware of the internet meme, but I just hadn't seen that many episodes of King of the Hill. Uh, I think I stopped at season three or something like that. And it holds up hilariously. There is no reason you couldn't just make this exact episode episode today yeah. it is really funny i i highly recommend it to anyone it's who's not a huge king of the hill fan funny how that, may make you one funny how that works with king of the hill the show about the out-of-touch southerners works far better than almost any other edgy animated show of 2001 yeah yeah uh, yep. and this is like right smack in the middle of their run they went 13 seasons yeah. whoa yeah yeah this is the beginning of six and yeah, King of the Hill is one of those shows. Where it's, I don't know if I've ever seen an episode at the end of it where I was like, "Well, that was bad." No, never, mm. never. And just a small shout out to MST3K host Jonah Ray. If you saw his costume this year, he was Hank Hill, trick or treat in his devil nice. outfit. <laughs> nice. God damn it, uh, King! I, I was talking to somebody with an older kid about that, and we were talking about how kids say they don't watch television, but you know, kids will occasionally watch television. And we have, I was having a long talk with a mother of an eighteen-year-old. And about how like television throughout generations kind of ends up dictating what we like because you don't have money or to go see movies or buy video games as a kid. And I was like, yeah, I bet your kid probably has discovered something that we liked as a kid through television and you never would have predicted it. And she's like, like what? And I just said King of the Hill. And I'm like, yeah, he okay. he does like King of the Hill. Yeah. And like and like. Yeah, she's like, I don't know if that's because of the memes, but like, I'm like, but it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> I think it's the timeless nature of it. Yeah, it's, I, yeah. I, it, it still works today very, very well. Yeah, it doesn't even matter if it's only the memes. The fact is, it's it's resonating with young people for some weird fucking reason in a way that this Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode is not. And I think I would have predicted the exact opposite 20 years ago. Jeez, I got to move on because there's two other, three other unbelievable shows of this period, all now Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Once more with feeling. Buffy fans will know exactly what that is, but Mm -hmm. you might know it as the musical episode. And what I especially like about this is that it is not just a frivolous let's do a musical episode. Like It is something that is brought upon the town of Sunnyvale. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) is singing uncontrollably by whatever force is permeating through the air. They do not want to do this. Just like in real life, some of the cast members are like, just please don't make me sing. (laughs) (laughs) Dance, please. Uh, I believe Allison only has like one line that she actually sings, and that was very much her decision. Where it was just like, "I don't want to sing." I'm not. Uh, I'm not that so actor, kid. I do not is, sing and dance. <laughs> this line is mostly filler, mm-hmm. and to me, that is perfect. There's a lot of in jokes in this episode. Don gets kidnapped. Uh, Buffy says it must be a Tuesday, and of course, the show was airing on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And to me, what really makes this such an amazing episode is that is the opposite 
of standard musicals, which are happy. This is about depression. Yep. Mm. This is a hundred percent Buffy singing. How do I deal with my crippling depression? Yeah. Or my my recently being dead. <laughs> yeah, my recently being dead and being in an afterlife that appears to be pretty good. It's like yeah. heaven, and now you brought me back, you yeah. assholes. Yeah, she is not happy about not being dead. This episode advances numerous storylines. Yeah. In a way, I think a lot of superfluous musical episodes Would, might not. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is just this accessible sweeps episode. We want to get people on board. We're like, this moves the story forward. And some major mm-hmm. storylines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willow is using magic in a parallel to drugs. And then she gets in a fight with her girlfriend and uses magic to make her girlfriend forget that she's using magic. And so to me, that was kind of like, well, what if your romantic partner was using a ton of drugs? You got to fight with them for using drugs. And then they gave you a roofie to make you forget that you caught them using a Forget me nows, Michael. Yeah. uh, And that's addressed in a musical form in this episode in a heartbreaking duet that merges two separate songs together and makes both of them sad. It's yeah, it's well, it's a really talented uh, musical composition. I think. Yeah, the, yeah the, the, I, well, this episode took the longest because... to write. Everybody took yeah. vocal lessons. Like they did treat it like like way more than a normal episode. Yeah, I so I Buffy is one of those things I I didn't watch at the time, and I have so many people telling me to go back and watch. And I know I have friends who are huge Buffy fans that like went to sing along versions of this. I've been to four cons in which yep. this is shown. It rocks the house every time. The entire <laughs> audience always sings along. I was it's, it's a banger. That's the last yeah, thing I so, had to mention. This has had a theatrical run this episode for like Fathom mm-hmm. events and every con and Comic Con uh, WonderCon back in the day, they it would usually close out the last day with a packed fucking right. room. Like they were just there to ask David Duchovny X Files questions. It had an astonishing legacy yeah. for such a long time. Yeah. But it, I, so I I was surprised that because I never watched it before to watch it and see like besides being impressed that it, you know there is an implot reason everyone is singing and that it advances the overall plot and characters forward. That it, but it also adheres to so many very specific musical tropes mm-hmm. that it's like, oh yeah, how, how long before Joss Whedon does Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog? Yeah, a couple of years. It's like, oh yeah, he knows freaking musical. It's like, mm-hmm. there's the I want song, there's the regret song, there's the like back and forth song with a dance number in the middle of it. It's like, he knows his fucking tropes. So it's if, like, if good they. Job. Ha- Good ever job. do a Broadway Buffy the musical, I, I think it could rock the house. I, I don't see why that couldn't be a just smash hit. I mean, if you can have Shrek the musical, you can definitely have Buffy the musical. Yeah, except, yeah. except for the, yeah. the the weird legacy of whatever wherever Josh Whedon is hanging right now, because his, like, mm, his yeah. touch is all over this, and I the last con I went to, they didn't have this there anymore. Mm. Whereas from when I've been going to cons, they've always had once more with feeling sing-alongs. But yeah, huge deal. Great episode. Like just one of those top 10 Buffy episodes in general. Just now to something, I don't remember if this aired here or if this was delayed because I had to torrent this pilot a long, mm-hmm. long time before this. But it's torrent, I think I mean Morpheus or Kazaa. 
Uh, I'm sorry for your computer that was infected with many viruses then. Um, Stupid LimeWire. But uh, yeah, let's see if Patrick Warburton can tell us what's going on. I am the wild blue yonder, the front line in a never-ending battle between good and not so good. Together with my stalwart sidekick Arthur and the magnanimous help of some other folks I know, we form the yin to villainy's malevolent yang. Destiny has chosen us. Wicked men, you face the tick. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> uh, uh, the first live-action tick. This was so dang cute. It was very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, Only went nine whole episodes. But so, co- uh, co-produced I, by Barry Sonnenfeld and Larry Charles. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Larry Charles is all over this because they tried to make it superhero Seinfeld. And 100%. a lot of times they succeeded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Th- this is a crazy story for a Fox show, but it got put in a bad time slot, what? moved around, oh. wasn't paid much attention. I know that's, that's one in a million not shot. Like them. One in a million. <laughs> um, the reason is probably that Fox did not own the tick. Nope. So if they don't own the property, like The Simpsons, they don't care and they're not going to put the, the power in. And this it. was really expensive. I think yes. they said the yes. suit alone was like $3 million just so Patrick Warburton could move and his antennae could move independently. And it looks and, amazing. It looks in very crazy. Even in 2021, I think that's a hell of a super suit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best thing to come out of it, Ben Edlin, the creator of The Tick. The Tick cartoon, I still think there's... The Amazon series is also pretty good. I think yeah. I, if, for some reason, if you combine those two live-action versions of The Tick, they almost meet up to the animated version of The Tick and the comic. But I'd I, say the animated is my personal the, favorite oh, it's so version. Good. It's just captured everything I loved. The live-action versions have a lot of trouble because... okay. Patrick Walburton is a human cartoon. Yeah. He is. Yeah. I cannot imagine any more perfect tick than he has. High five. And one of the <laughs> things I loved learning is that the super suit he wears covered his ears so much that yeah. when his fellow actors were speaking to him, he couldn't really hear them. Say again. But, oh boy. <laughs> but he said that made him a better actor because the tick is living in his own little world. And right. what other people are saying <laughs> doesn't register to them. But the, yeah, the great thing that came out of Ben Edlund, great. I love the tick so much. The cartoon is pretty perfect. And one of the writers in the cartoon was a man named Christopher McCullough. And he comes oh. on set and meets Patrick Warburton. Christopher McCullough will eventually adopt the name Jackson Public, create the Venture Brothers, and cast Patrick Warburton. Nice. Um, uh, I thought you were going to say the best part about it was Nestor Carbonell as Batmanuel, because I, he I, was my favorite by far. And he I, goes I, on to play the mayor in Dark Knight Rising, yeah. which I think yeah. is just perfect. I know. I see it all I can think Batmanuel, because I did. I I think Deflator Mouse is that like an opera reference in the cartoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Batmanuel and Deflator Mouse are obviously joking off of the same Batman tropes, but they're two completely different characters. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, Batmanuel is much more of this uh, Romeo character. Mm-hmm. And Deflator Mouse is much more of a coward, but they both completely work in their own tick universe. Yeah, mm-hmm. and American Maid became Lady Liberty or something like, like that. Something yeah. like that, yeah. So there are cameos later on in the run by both Dave Foley and Ron Perlman, who, hey. you know, are two perfect characters to be in a uh, comic book TV show. I yeah, think. I think Christopher Lloyd is like a nothing part in the pilot. Yes, he is. He has yeah. a great speech I can play if you want to hear. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Time is worth, Arthur, my time is worth $17 a second. I want an explanation, and I want it to cost less than $1,500. Go. Oh, 
Uh, well, it's hard to explain. $51. Mr. Fishladder, I have been living a lie. I am more than just a mild-mannered accountant. Now I do good work for this firm, and I value my job. It's just my entire life has become nothing but numbers and deductions and IRAs. 255. And granted, I've been doing my parents' tax returns since I was six, but even then I knew I had a higher calling. I can't hide from it any longer. I... Outside! I am going to become a superhero. You know, part-time at first. Christ in heaven! Look at yourself! You're built like a sensible shoe. You shouldn't be jumping around town in a body sock fighting crime. Well, I haven't actually fought any crime yet. Good! Keep it that way. Crime fights back. Remember the lesson of Metcalf. Metcalf? Metcalf! Head of shipping and receiving third floor. Metcalf! He lost all his game pieces just like you. Cashed in his 401k and bought a jetpack. Now the poor bastard needs a machine. To poop! Because <laughs> <laughs> that's side of being a superhero they don't tell you about. You're going to need a yeah. machine to poop. Yeah, it's, I was so shocked to see him. I got this. I got this torrent like really early because something happened to the show. It was majorly delayed. And again, I think, but yeah, Christopher Lloyd is in here for just the beginning of the episode, and you like never see him again. Never shows up in the yeah. show ever again. Uh, juxtaposed with all this other Fox stuff, but yeah, they, ridiculously. I mean, this the, the live action tick went nine episodes. Now let's talk about someone who went nine seasons. Nine seasons. Twenty four episodes. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of you probably still oh, have. Yeah. That uh, clock app on your phone, but uh, twenty. 20- I had that as a ringtone uh, back when when ringtones were cool, and I had to quit using it because it was making me too anxious. <laughs> I got the phone. I got it. I don't like my experience with this show because of how riveting it was and its format just seemed agonizing to watch on a nightly basis i got in when the se- the first two seasons were done and i think the first two seasons it's pretty safe to say are among its best i'm sure there's like a really mm-hmm. good one mixed in there because the more i watched it after that the worse it got and the more ridiculous but everything in the first two seasons is like unbelievably grounded and in a post 9-11 world some real Corners get cut with human rights in ways that felt mm-hmm. believable and, dare I say, necessary in a, t- a hostage event. It was fucking tense as hell. And I remember I timed it yeah. just because I was curious. My my friend Sammy I actually gave me the DVDs, and I watched 16 hours. That's how long without commercials you can watch the first season of 24. 16 okay. hours, which I did in almost one sitting. I just remember one of those sweaty binge watches where it's like, oh, fuck, the sun's coming up. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, and yeah, not... so it, it it is baffling that this was made before 9-11 yeah. and well, then yes. ends up debuting it, right after 9-11. It was pushed they back. To, mm. Yeah, they pushed it back and they had to cut around a, a plane exploding midair. And uh, it, it's it's an awkward cut. I don't know if they ever put it Until back. Until they just the do that in the second season. It's it's so weird that like it, it is just weird synergy that this show comes out. And then we I mean, within a year, we're talking about like is enhanced interrogation. OK, because like on this show, torture always works. Always. It's usually yeah. the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wor- just just beat a guy until you get an answer. And it's always the right one. And if you got to cut a guy's head off to get a confession out of another guy, you go ahead and you do that. Lives are yeah. on the line. Yeah, and that just keeps going on a, to, oh, but to yes, the point we, where it's like... If we didn't say it, what was promised on commercial television, every episode is a real-time hour. There are 24 yeah. real-time episodes. So every season is one day in the life and, of Jack the Bauer. series starts out with Jack at midnight. Uh, so he's mm-hmm. already had a full day. So the first season is already him running on fumes. And in this first episode, he's hungry. He's about to eat a cup of pudding. 
and then he puts it down. And I know for the rest of this season, he's like, God damn it, I didn't eat that pudding. I could have really used it right now. And you just assume that like all, all during the commercial breaks, that's when everyone pees. That's when everyone uses the restroom. Yeah, yep. gets their makeup yeah. done again. Yeah, and teleports across town. It Wait, and it's... Because they're running around L.A. and, and somehow it's like it, it takes five minutes to get 30 miles. But they're probably you know. taking the train. No one's ever on that thing. I do love that it's called worst day ever. And then he presumably has eight days that are even more worse than that. Um, yeah, that, that's yeah. I remember bow, bowing out of the show. The first season incorporates his wife and his daughter. And I think they have an ending to the first season where they leave the wife alive. But the canonical ending is where she's dead in the next season. I could have it reversed. They changed the ending to get get the wife out of the equation because it's too many people to balance in a 24-hour period. So the third season, there's that arc where the daughter witnesses a robbery and then runs into the woods and is attacked by a cougar mm-hmm. and kidnapped in Kevin Dillon. Also remember, this is real time, so this is all taking place in about 90 minutes, two and a half hours. Yeah. So like, yeah. this is a ridiculous... Yeah, I mean, that, that she should not be problem. doing things simultaneously with the guy who's running a counter-terrorist operation. Yeah. I'm sure her life is interesting. It should not be this interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and they, I mean, I feel like that's... The problem is that they... The, the daughter is an important part of the first season, and, you know, and it's pretty interesting that basically she's being kidnapped without realizing she's being kidnapped. And it's like, it's very tense and very interesting. And it's like, but I guess she's... Under contract, we got to bring Liza Liza Kolschberth back. So it's like they just run out of shit for her to do yeah, season after season. I I came to the show after it already had a couple seasons, so it was a pure DVD show for me. So I never got the delay. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a very busy time of my life, though. So my wife and I watched it when we could find time up to the end of season two. Uh, then I went away for a like week long business trip, and when I came back, my wife was already on like season. And at that point, I just had to go, I, I'm never catching up, sweetie. I do not have I, any spare time. I don't remember feeling like that about many other shows where I was, I'm just watching it and like, oh my God, the bomb's about to go off. And the guy is a gun to Jack Bauer. How will he ever get out of this? Oh my, and like, I didn't have to wait a week. I had to wait five seconds, to like fill up my water at 7 a.m. in my kitchen. And then in the first 20 seconds, that entire week's worth of waiting would be solved and just irrelevant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, yeah. I just did that thing and it's all solved now. Um, yeah. As f- I never watched it binging. I did actually just watch it week to week. And I, uh, w- yeah, it was the same thing of like, well, how's he going to get out of this one? It's like, well, within the first 30 seconds of the next episode, <laughs> yes. he's going to get out of it. Yes. It's never. Uh, so. Those resolutions yeah, never go more than one, more than like 30 seconds. It's nuts. Yeah. There's, there's just never really a, problem but I, it, it would kind of be more fun to binge i suppose than but i f- feel like that helped me fall off at just the week after week of well, like it's, I, yeah it's it six seems, days from now i'll watch it and i'm like eh, it seems like ah, the perfect show for netflix because we hear now that is how they want to retain viewers they want to have mm-hmm. something that makes them go to the next episode and feel immediately rewarded and i can't think of anything that did that like 24 watching it on dvd <laughs> When, when my wife and I know we have to go to sleep and we're watching a very bingeable show like that on Netflix, we start at the halfway part of one episode. Oh, shit. And go to the halfway point of the other episode so we can like get the complete not story, bad. get the hour-long experience, but not be like, oh, my gosh, we have to keep watching. Ah. That's very, very clever. Interesting. Oh. But, yeah, I mean, it is weird that for 2001 – this is a big shift into serialized programming mm-hmm. that, you know, everyone talked about once Lost comes out, but 24, it's like, is there a favorite episode? Do you want everyone to rewatch an episode? No, it's about pushing the story right. 
forward. Even and, if and, it's and completely network television, yeah. especially, it prided itself like you can tune in any time and be enriched mm. by whatever episode of this television program we have going, and you don't have to have seen it all before. I'm like, not anymore. That is not how it works. Uh, that yep. shit is over, and it's been over for a while. Even though television kind of works more like that than ever now, broadcast television. Yeah, but yeah, twenty marks. HBO's philosophy leaking into network television, and it, I think it was mm-hmm. better for it, even though I fall off 24 very quickly. Moving into video games of 2001, because that is equally exciting, because we got Golden Sun out for Game Boy. We got Project Gotham Racing, one of my favorite underrated racing series from Bizarre Creations, swallowed up by Activision and then killing that series, but it was the one of the first racing games to, like, you didn't just win the race, it's like, how was your drift? Did you hit some top speed? Did you sh- did you uh, shadow someone there? Did you did you make, do a good overtake? A great soundtrack. The only racing game I'd seen at this point add classical music. Like that was like a quarter of huh. the soundtrack. Very relaxing. Next box exclusive that eventually was the company's acquired by Activision made three more games and they just kind of made them work on James Bond racing games, Blur, all those other things that Activision put out and had didn't really give. Um, but all great games that didn't have much. I love. I miss Bizarre Creations altogether. They would go on to make Geometry Wars, so I think they're they're more remembered yeah. for. Golden Sun I didn't play that much of, but what I did play a ton of. One one of the first non Mario games I had an action figure of for some reason. Because it was accessible. Mm-hmm. David Arquette's character from SSX Tricky. One of the weirdest, not quite sequels I've ever seen in my life. SSX being an incredibly popular snowboarding game. One of the, the best-reviewed PS2 launch game. It's uh, 100% the best PS2 game, without yeah. a doubt. That's a game that still holds up today. And SSX Tricky improved Every aspect of that. It, so it just made so it insane. I, it made it arcade-wise and like explosions everywhere and voice acting and like actual character design hadn't existed in the game. But like the courses were pretty similar. Yeah, but <laughs> they were all fun. They were all enjoyable. You could level up your characters in fun and interesting ways. The characters all had personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, a great game to just play and zone out and, and really a, enjoy the, i think it's a weird high point for the series because they kind of uh, they walked back some of the arcadey goofy nature of it in the third one but i thought this was hilarious and the tricky meter that run dmc which i wasn't that familiar with <laughs> but i was not either this was the first time i'd ever heard that song and i thought it was original to this game for an embarrassingly long they they gave it they gave you ah. a tricky meter diana that would like you'd raise and you just hear the beat start to kick in and then it's like it's <laughs> you just get this, pa- this this trick boost and the song would the kick and start playing it was awesome honestly the, this is the only one i'd really like a high definition yes. of, of all the ssx agreed games. this is the one that deserves to be re-released today agreed with that we'll talk more in depth about that patreon.com slash laser time with the video game apocalypse boys uh listen to them every friday please i'm on the show but to a much lesser extent than Michael and Maddie. Let's close out with You Gets No Love by Faith Evans featuring P. Diddy and Loon. Who could forget Loon? Is that a person or a bird? It doesn't matter. That was a real dad joke on my behalf, and I'd rather just retire this segment and explain it any further. <laughs> uh, so let's close out with that song, and uh, we'll be right back with 2011. Don't move.
Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth watching. And for the week of November 5th through 11th, we have a movie that sort of kind of got released this week, 40 years ago, 1981. It sort of kind of wasn't released, and then it sort of kind of found an audience in like 2015. And if you've seen it, you might understand why. It is Roar from 1981, starring and directed by Noel Marshall with his wife, Tippi Hedren, also known from The Birds, and her daughter, Melanie Griffith, and the rest of their family, and, like, a million billion fucking lions and shit. It isn't probably the most irresponsible movie ever made. It's uh, about a family who live in Africa on a big cat preserve, which also, besides having a ton of lions, also has tigers and cougars for some reason that they just throw away a line to explain. And it's supposed to be mostly a comedy about these big cats getting all over the, up in their house and stuff. It's really, really irresponsible. Something like 70 people were injured at different points uh, in the making of it, which took roughly 11 years. They kind of did it on and off and on and off. Uh, the cinematographer, Yann DeBont, was goddamn scalped. And he recovered and went on to direct speed. So, yeah, okay. It, it was refound uh, in 2015. Alamo Drafthouse found it, re-released it. And, yeah, the way the people are interacting with these giant cats is just massively irresponsible. They're, they're, people end up accidentally bleeding, like, during a scene and just kind of keep going. And you, you kind of have to see it to believe it. And then you learn about the making of it and you just start hitting your head against the wall. Like, what are you, what are you doing? So uh, I've had trouble finding renting it. I watch it not especially legally, but it really is a must-see-to-believe kind of cult film. So Roar from 1981, starring a, a lot of people who should have known better. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming in 2011 with Paradise by Coldplay. It is on the charts this week. Welcome to 2011, November 5th to the 11th. Other new music releases include Parallax by Atlas Sound, Voyage by The Sound of Arrows, Blue Slide Park by Mac Miller, Fear of God 2, Let Us Pray by Pusha T, Dive by Tycho, Love Part 2 by Angels and Airwaves, and uh, Young, Foolish, Happy by Pixie Lot. Someone Like You by Adele is still number one. Man. Still! That is an incredibly long time. And Whew. I've looked ahead and I've realized... If you're number one in December, you're going to be number one for the rest of the year. So let's see right. if she can do it. 2011 news. Oh, boy. Um, former Penn State assistant coach Jerry Sandusky arrested on 52 counts of child sex abuse. Oh, yeah. man. As as the child of Penn State alums, this whole uh, me thing too. hit hard because... Me too. Yeah, you too? No, my, yeah, my mother took uh, a correspondence because... course on there like from Florida. So, yeah, technically. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. Joe Paterno, the head coach of the Nittany Lions is an absolute legend. I mean, the man had a statue of himself while he was still there coaching. <laughs> He'd been there a million years. And after Sandusky was arrested, it came to light like, oh, he knew yes. that Sandusky was a serial predator. And he just hid away from uh... it. And it just destroyed a legacy of 40 years. Yep. And uh, Sandusky's crimes are shockingly horrible. Like, yep. 
don't don't start digging. You if, will lose faith if in humanity. If you do want to start digging, Happy Valley is a 2014 mm. documentary on this, and it's available on YouTube, and it will get into everything you would possibly yeah, want think to know about. A lot of sports fans were like, come on, Jerry didn't do... And like, And it's just like, the news is being polite about what they're reporting about this this is really yeah really bad and at best paterno is just sort of like i don't want to know that's sort yeah. of the decision he made i don't want to know i've heard things i don't want to know don't tell me you deal with it and that, that but even that is totally inappropriate that will not save you as the mm-hmm. head of an organization like this yeah um, well he's not doing it to my players like yeah no he's doing it to kids yeah. for like a charity that he founded yeah. like just to get at kids don't keep giving that guy a paycheck barest minimum yeah the absolute minimum is fire that guy. Don't give him a paycheck. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Paterno didn't. And it, oh, yeah, it hurts. And this is baffling news, mainly because I don't remember it. <laughs> and this is the subject to at least 400,000 movies. A potentially hazardous asteroid past, what is this, 0.85 lunar distances from Earth. That's about, uh, oh. that's over 200,000 miles, but it is the closest known approach of an asteroid of its size since 1976. So uh, this was a minor news thing at the time, and there's something called the Torino scale, mm-hmm. which determines how dangerous of an asteroid is. And there was mm-hmm. a bit of a confusion over this because it was uh, level one, and they had to change the name. So a level one is normal. It's like, please don't panic. Don't don't build your Springfield bomb shelter uh, okay. quite yet. Good luck surviving this level. thing. And then in 2029, we're going to get one that is going to come within 25,000 miles. What? Of us. Oh, 25,000 miles. Of us. And, all right. You know, Divorce um, your wives now. It's get, get it all out, guys. Uh, <laughs> but there's been some really interesting uh, increases in our ability to detect asteroids as our computers get better and more powerful. The day that we're going to be surprised by an asteroid is pretty much over now. Mm. We will hmm. almost certainly have a warning way, way in advance but of the, anything dangerous. But the movies tell me we have one year to train these oil riggers. <laughs> and that, that, that actually was plausible in the year 2000 when we didn't have as many satellites, we didn't have as many computers just able to analyze as specks of dirt from millions of miles away, but we've just gotten better at it. That's so, yeah, because uh, that, that's not even just Armageddon. That is like multiple movies. Uh, we got to make this plausible somehow. Let's give us, ourselves one year before impact. That happens all yeah. even in that, that, that end of the world comedy, like one year, one year. But you're saying like we know the asteroids 10 years from now that will be coming. Oh, yeah. Let's see if things get bad enough, how we can figure out how to nudge them closer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'm waiting for the evil genius to start fucking with Jupiter because Ju- Jupiter's gravitational pull is kind of what keeps a lot of them in check oh man some like so let's blow up jupiter some thanos with a pocket protector i can't wait Mm -hmm. (laughs) messing with jupiter's gravitational field uh also this week in memes boy skyrim fans you're in for a real treat uh i took an arrow to the knee i used to be an adventurer is that a spoiler for games the meme is like a week or two later because i think and i i don't like skyrim so you you can correct me on this people slowly notice this is a repeatable piece of dialogue for a lot of characters. So it takes like <laughs> it takes like a week before. Yeah, yeah. You're... If you're just dorking around in the game, you're going to hear it a couple of times. But if you make Skyrim your world, which many people did, dude, my Steam you're... list was like I, it had the most people of my friends playing this for like the next two years. Skyrim. I would say if you play Skyrim for forty hours, which is you know a long time to play for a game, you're going to hear this. You know. 10 times but if you play it you know 200 hours you're you're at the like 
thirtieth time going, God damn it! I hear there. You have bigger problems. Well, look, I mean, it takes place in sort of a medieval world where they they don't have you know arthroscopic surgery, and so an arrow to the knee could could ruin your life. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, and by <laughs> it's nerd a very law, serious issue. <laughs> by nerd law, I'm required to mention that taking an arrow to the knee could also be interpreted in some uh, Scandinavian cultures as the way you propose to someone. It's Aww. how you ask someone to marry you. <sighs> so they could be saying, I used to be an adventurer like you, but then I got married to my wife and I'm no longer an adventurer. Wow. Uh-huh. I don't. I don't even know how to think about that. I'm trying. I'm just imagining a Viking funeral, and then I shot her. I shot his widow in the knee, and we became married <laughs> that time. Moving into movies of 2011. What the? What the fuck? Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> 11, we get, 11, we get two horror movies. I want to breeze through real fast. Uh, 11, 11, 11. The the film that's been ruining my spreadsheet all year. It's <laughs> <laughs> finally here. And it's sort of a religious-y horror movie about how, like, the 11th seal and the 11th gate will open at 11-11 on 11-11-11. Thank God they got that release date. (sighs) Well, they should have released it a year beforehand because it's like you release this movie and then in, like, six days... Your movie's stupid and dumb because 11, 11, 11 has already passed. And you're just like, God damn it, guys. Nothing freaking happened. Oh, man. It's happened at the end of days. I've seen it before. Uh, yeah. And uh, the reviews were, were not great on that. It's it's reviews. not a good movie. It's cheap. Oh. It's boring. It's. See, I appreciate uh... your dedication. That we were talking about the movies that we kind of skim. Look at the reviews. Oh, no. This, yeah. this, this, this has to be the... the... I've never really done this before. We're this late in the show, and so you know you're free to stop listening. Okay. I, <laughs> I I was working on the wrong doc this week, so I <laughs> I am way prepared for the next episode and did not get to see any of the except the ones I had previously seen, which were not good experiences. Which does not include the uh, awakening. Okay. Nope. The Awakening with Rebecca Hall, Dominic West, and Melda Staunton. It's a British horror film. That takes place in the twenties where there's like a haunted orphanage or is it haunted? I don't know. It looked really pretty. I did not finish it. I'll it's... admit that. I didn't finish it. It looked very cool and gothy, but it was kind of boring. It's a great setting though. As it says in the opening of the film, Britain in the early 1920s had got hammered both by the masses losses of World War One and then the 1919 flu epidemic. Just hmm. massive death all around. It's this a really creepy time. The movie itself is not that great. It's like almost a is it or is it not a horror film. There's a bit of a twisty thing at the end. Rebecca Hall is a ghost disprover. She's not a ghost hunter because her whole shtick is ghosts aren't real ghosts don't exist and then she goes to this place i'm a professional wet blanket enjoy me (laughs) (laughs) and that her whole thing is rationality science and then she goes to this place and it's proven that ghosts are real and her reaction is to sleep with dominic west which a lot of women would do that yeah well yeah mcnulty i'll take some when your entire worldview that you've built up over this time is crushed, I, I just don't know that that's the natural reaction, honestly. <laughs> hey, what do you got to lose? Yeah. I think it I is. So. Yeah, if I can just do what I want now. God damn it. Ghosts are real. All right. Let's make them watch me fuck. <laughs> so the 1920s are creepy. You know, the 1900s yeah. are creepy. 1880s are creepy. How far back can you go and have it start being creepy? Because I feel you can't make like a creepy 80s. Uh, I was gonna s- I was gonna say seventies because like 
was watching some seventies seventies wrestling recently, and like some of those guts and pastels and fucking the width of some of those collars with the bell bottoms, just like what the fuck? <laughs> I know there's been more articulate things about that, but I just try and imagine wearing that. It just seems so ridiculous, and it's like mm. when American when when white dudes' guts like start being built into fashion. Where just just tuck in this shirt, tuck in your shirt to your bell bottoms, and really let that thing hang out. Maybe less rest gold medallion on your shitty unbuilt chest hair. Ugh, that you know, was scary. The thing that they don't underline about the seventies, because I'm a person who loves thrift shopping, mm-hmm. especially seventies stuff. That's my jam. None of it breathes. Polyester is literally yeah. spun plastic. And you get so sweaty it's, in those high-waisted pants yeah. that you wear with a disco shirt. Because you're wearing with a, a fucking Halloween costume. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Just anytime I think like, oh, it would have been cool to go to Studio Fifty Four. I just think how bad it would smell. All that crotch sweat everywhere. Oh my goodness! All them coke sweats everywhere. Yeah, it, it seems bizarre to think of a ghost haunting a place with a really giant cell phone. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's possible at some point. Where were we? We we are at um oh the one well, the, a movie that critics liked and I don't understand them. Yeah, I I, I really don't like this movie. My and dad I is am very is, supportive of the filmmaker and everyone in it. My my dad is a very I, supportive Clint Eastwood uh, as Clint Eastwood as a director usually like recommend and I I loved Richard Jewell despite some of the statements he was making. I remember everyone I knew fucking hated this movie. This is the one I really meant yeah. to watch. Other than the pedigree of Eastwood and I. I would I would say I'll watch pretty much anything with Leonardo DiCaprio. I will literally watch yeah. anything with Stephen Root. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we got Leah Thompson, Dennis O'Hara, Stephen Root, Jeffrey Donovan, Ed Westwick, Damon Harriman, Judy Dench, Josh Lucas, Army Hammer, Naomi Watts, Leonardo DiCaprio, and J. Edgar. Who is the most famous man of the 20th century? Is that you, sir? Mr. Hoover, I want you to be director of the Bureau of Investigation. You restore our family to greatness. The president is afraid. Seal off his office. I want those files. I see right through you. You're a scared little man. I refuse to be publicly humiliated. What determines a man's legacy is often what isn't seen. Trust no one. J.N. So what I really want to know... This is one, the type of biopic that is so on the nose, I don't feel like we're going to see made anymore. And mm. some of this makeup is so questionable. And it's coming from a director we now know is like, stop wasting time. One take. He does not need a reapplication. I don't care if his jowl is falling off of his face. Hey, I mean, a big problem with this is the topic is massive. Yeah. They're trying to cover pretty much j edgar hoover's entire career it's the dewey cox problem yeah it's yes. it's you have to cover in a biopic every aspect of this person's life which is insane because there's no other genre where that's an expected thing yeah. you know uh we don't see every aspect of humphrey bogart's uh, detective life in the big sleep before we get to the actual action you right. know we there's no reason that every single biography film or most of them at least has to cover a lifespan that's not what movies mainly do they cover specific episodes in time mm-hmm. and there's no reason that they couldn't have had j edgar hoover's one time on the Lindbergh case that could be it that could just yeah. be or, it. or just get to know even, him through that case the creation i, I guess they're pro- i'm just guessing here but this is supposed to be like the creating the foundation of the modern FBI, and to do yeah. that, we must go back to Jay Edgar's childhood. Like maybe, but like, a little uh, bit. 
it. I mean, yeah, his mom is pretty important figure in his life. Yeah, just a Lindbergh case would have been good. Just just the FBI versus MLK would have been good. Oh, that would have been amazing. Just that's why I mean the topic is just so massive that mm-hmm. it should be like a two season miniseries. Yeah. It, it should be it's there is a lot. Yeah, all to that dig all that shit into. Showtime's doing that I'm not watching. That's covering like Events in history, but for 10 episodes. Yeah. And, a, and it's what's weird is that the screenplay is by Dustin Lance Blank, who did Milk, which does a really good job of mm. summarizing someone's life in just a narrow window of time. We don't have to see his whole childhood to understand how he got here. And this, it just, it felt overstuffed and yet boring as hell. And like, people are trying, like, the, the, everyone's acting is fine. I feel like DiCaprio is miscast, frankly. Um, that's like the silliest that, role he's ever done. That that later makeup gets <laughs> distracting, and it's just it looks like a horror movie. <sighs> I mean, it should be like a horror movie because he was a monster. But it's just like so disappointing all around. Like, please, someone make a a lot of good media about what a monster Jager Hoover was. Well, I, that's another aspect that's probably worth tackling. Clint Eastwood leans a little right, and for mm-hmm. older. You know, more traditional people, let's say, Jay Edgar's a hero. Whereas I remember this coming out and like your Twitter reaction is like, I don't want to see a movie exalting this dude. It, and you know, it doesn't think it doesn't it does. That was my that was my question. Yeah. Is that what what is that what they focus on? No, no, I don't think he comes out looking good at all. No, at the very end of the film, it's his uh, gay lover saying, here's how you're lying about your life. These are so many lies you're telling, and I don't even know if you know you're lying anymore. And that's got to be so, Army Hammer, right? Mm-hmm. See, I'm inferring a lot here. Didn't see it. Yeah, it's, um, no, I find it's pretty disappointing. Oh, yeah. good. But yeah, for some reason, critics seem to like it, and I just... I was like, I mean, did we watch were, the same movie? Critics were all over Clint Eastwood at that time, and I'll never call yeah. Mystic River a bad movie, but the amount of lauding of that movie during that time, like, I don't trust you fuckers anymore. Like, you just love <laughs> Clint Eastwood, that he's still yeah. alive and making stuff. Like, this is not that great. You're wrong. Yep. Uh, you know who shouldn't start keep making stuff? Who? Adam Sandler. Well, <laughs> fight me. This is this is His almost comedy special was good. That's it's amazing, one. but this is almost around the time where you get your wish because I think we're running up on a decade of his Netflix deal because I don't <laughs> think those movies would be made by a studio anymore, especially this one, which seems like the ultimate. We've let you do whatever you wanted, and this looks like you're out of ideas, and that would be oh, Al Pacino <laughs> in one of the worst, his worst moment on screen. And, and that's oh. that's what a lot Don of silly Al Pacino is a funny song. I it is Dunkachino and Dunkachino. I think we can get into this, but I think I actually respect Al Pacino more. Okay, watching this movie okay. because it shows he actually Al does Pacino. have a sense of humor, and he is not holding back. He goes no. crazy. Al Pacino, Katie Holmes, Adam Sandler, and I'm really even more sad to report Norm Macdonald in a pretty awful cameo jack and jill when his twin sister comes to visit oh my god get ready for the laughs the fun and the action all you gotta do is make contact oh 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 my 
God. I'm sure you have others. You'd think it, but uh, oddly enough, I don't. <laughs> she ruins his Oscar. Now that, that's a funny right. line. That's, that's a, a funny good line. Yeah. Yes. So Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler. What? Put a 10 on that search. Yeah. One, uh, one of them is an advertising guy because that's the easiest job to have in a movie if you don't know shit. And <laughs> oh, his wacky, embarrassing, rather extra Judaic sister is coming to visit. And oh, she's such a pain. Oh, oh no. But then Al Pacino loves her. And he's got to get Al Pacino to be in a fucking Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Dunkin' uh, And so he's got to set his annoying sister up and just... Wow. Uh, record number of Razzie wins on this one, yeah. which I don't trust the what wins. I am a voting member, but I, I don't trust what I, wins. But I watch this, this deserves it. Fuck I, this. Back when I made things other than podcasts, I made a video called Adam Sandler Loves Food celebrating his incredibly crass product placement. And I watched this whole movie like, and just kept being more and more surprised how more... More and more elaborate these became until the scene we've already mentioned a thousand times. Now they hold up a lot of Coke cans and Coke Coke cups, but yep. that is not the highlight from this. Holy Lord. Dunkachino. Dunkachino. Because he's. You want to hear Al Pacino rapping about coffee? Fuck. <laughs> Dunkachino? You heard me right. Dunk. Oh, what's that name? Dunkachino. It is. I. I if you. It's I'm worth gonna take... a YouTube watch for the Dunkachino, I would say. Yeah. But the rest of yeah. it, I, I do wonder, like. You know, I, I think more about what it is and isn't transphobic nowadays, even though, you know, this isn't a cross-dressing thing. No, it's not. It's it's him playing a female character. I didn't get However, the However, the reaction from people to Adam Sandler's character in a dress is exactly what transphobia looks like. Mm. It is. Okay. Like, they, they, yeah. that every yeah. character in the movie reacts like this looks like you in a dress. Hmm. Okay. Maybe I brought yeah. it to a different, a, a weird area. I didn't mean to, but I mean like, no, no. I, I haven't uh, seen this. I, I will never watch this in full again, ever. <laughs> so I only watch clips for this. So it's got a three percent score on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics. <laughs> However, this is worth noting: thirty-six percent score from the audience. Now, now, <sighs> keep in mind that realistically, we're talking. At least a hundred million people have voluntarily seen this film. Okay, think that number. Given the numbers, that's a realistic number. It's probably higher because of Netflix and whatever. But that means thirty-six percent of them probably enjoyed it. So your view of humanity must include <laughs> that thirty-six percent of the people will enjoy this film. I believe, at a glance, this is his lowest-rated movie. Yes. Wow. Um, uh, critically. It's also got a great cameo by Subway Jared, which did not. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I was curious if they were going to edit that out. They did not. He yeah. is still. I lost still weight by walking a mile and eating a veggie sub every day. Let's go, Jerry and, Sandusky. <laughs> and, and Adam Sandler playing the sister says, like, who are these people with you? Prostitutes? And uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mm. Oh my uh, no, look, hey, you know, if you're one of those 32 million people or whatever that enjoyed this movie, that's fine. I can't make you not like something that you like. I just just don't trust you anymore. And I'm not I'm not an Adam Sandler hater. I grew up as the biggest Adam Sandler fan in the universe. And watching his Netflix turns, those movies have been so markedly better than these. Not great. Nothing worth celebrating. But then that special he made was just like, oh. 
That's why I loved him. That's fantastic. Watching you just sing stupid songs and not have to make a 90-minute feature out of a, a bad impression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that we talked about Corky Romano a little while back and like that killed yeah. the viability of this format and Adam Sandler still got a surprising amount out of it and then eventually a big coup for Netflix was signing him exclusively so he's been and I didn't hate he'll be Halloween I watched it again <laughs> it was not terrible I've I've heard that's fine this but, cost 80 million dollars yeah this is as bad as it gets and if you remember the funniest thing and I don't recommend reading those emails because it's kind of a violation the the Sony emails about being the Adam Sandler company like <laughs> about like the only part I read <laughs> like why are these so expensive and why are we giving them all this creative control these are just diminishing returns all around and it, and it was yeah. 80 million for this is astounding the, thing is the the like special effects in back to the future 2 where you have the same actors playing against each other were better than this film <laughs> nothing they were. nothing they ever beats were. those nothing ever beats those effects why why are they the best person playing against the same person effects i've ever seen in my life back I to the future know, 2 i don't know but they're they're 20 years older than this film and they were way way better yeah all right can we talk about a movie the number one movie at the box office this week oh, is a Lord. movie that no, it's like it was collectively erased from existence. <laughs> just to make it more back to the future. This movie came out. It's number one at the box office. It beats everything else we just talked about. Yeah. I've never heard a single person mention it. I think we're going to have to talk about our. Say- our po- Anything about having watched it. We're going to have to talk about our post Gladiator obsession with seeing terrible Gladiator films. Oh, uh, this is a post 300. The post yeah, 300. It's, oh, it's post 300. It's, oh, yeah. it's my least favorite genre in film since I've been alive. Whatever this is. <laughs> Clash of the Titans, Wrath of the Titans. These movies are fucking terrible. And oh, look at this. Look at this wasted cast. Mickey Rourke, Frida Pinto, Kellen Lutz, Isabel Lucas, Luke Evans, Stephen Dorff. So much better than this. And of course, Superman himself, Henry Cavill. Immortals, number one this week at the box office. King Hyperion has declared war on all of humanity. Witness hell. Only in numbers do they have courage. You have it by standing alone. I don't know if I can do what Zeus asks of me. This is your calling, Theseus. That's right, history! We're alive! Today, we fight for immortality! Starts 11, 11, 11. Rated R. Shut up. Fucking snore. <laughs> snore. I couldn't get past any of this. It's um, not great. Yeah. It's actually not very good. But it's, it's a nothing film. It's gorgeous. I will say yes. that. It That's is... the thing. It's gorgeous because it's directed by Tarsim Singh, mm-hmm. who also directed The Fall and The Cell what? and the Losing My Religion video. <laughs> really he did that fantastic. yeah i did not know that wow yeah so it has an incredibly stylish distinctive really cool look he brought in uh aiko ishioka who usually did all of his uh costume designs and sometimes some set designs and so like that's how you say merry christmas in of... hawaii all right i'm done <laughs> <laughs> so like visually it's really cool but actually watching it it, it tries to be deep, but there's nothing there. There's no yeah. inner life to the characters. And nope. the ancient Greek myths, by and large, didn't have that rich of inner life. Theseus Mm-mm. is a pretty boring character. But then at 
they barely even fit it in. They like shoehorn a not really minotaur, but just a guy in a bull head. And yeah. it's not really that. So if you're gonna have him be that, why not just create a character who you can have a actual plot a character arc too because theseus does not grow at all in this film he's the exact same guy at the beginning <laughs> as he is at the end there's no progression there there's no reason wow. to think the group he's with would like each other like the thief is actively saying how much he hates everyone there and he's never given a reason to stay yeah it is i guess if you wanted to watch wrath or not even wrath of the titans any of the clash of the titans type things and just like but have it be pretty like, you could just turn the sound off and watch this as just the world's neatest screensaver. Put on your favorite yeah. Spotify playlist and just feel this movie interact with your music. Yeah, it's just, you I mean... lose anything. Yeah, the plot is pretty much, uh, yeah, let's get a group together and go fight the bad guy. And also, Greek guys are involved. The god plot and was it's just, pointless. There was yeah, no reason for the god point <laughs> plot, and it conflicts with itself. It's like, the gods are saying, we can't intervene. And then it's, now it's intervening doing it. time. It's really stupid, and yet I can't just say, fuck this, I hate this, because it is so visually stunning. <laughs> but uh, that's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure shocked to hear you say that. I'm not going to recommend it, but man, even compared to, like, yeah, Wrath of the Titans, like, everyone has forgotten Immortals exists. And myself included. Ah. I'm, I'm shocked to hear it, it, it holds up visually, because there's something about that 300 era, which is not pretty to me at all. There's something super mm -hmm. empty and what do you call that? Uncanny Valley about everything, everything in the shots. Let's move into television on that sour ass note. November 5th through the 11th, 2011, Hell on Wheels debuts a show I almost, almost watched. Has so uh, this is regularly up there on list of uh, best Westerns on television. Mm. I had never seen it. I did mm. watch the pilot. Uh, is it because it, it came it, on after Breaking Bad? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it it has something that really annoys me. Within the first five minutes, the Confederate protagonist says he owns slaves. I was like, oh, great. You're actually going to explore that. That's good. And then five minutes later, he reveals that he freed all his slaves before the Civil War because he was convinced slavery was wrong and he still fought for the Confederacy. Now... A million people fought for the Confederacy. <laughs> Was one of them an anti-slavery guy? Probably. Probably. Yeah. 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 Plenty yeah. of people were. Sure. But they were so minor, so nothing. And if your Confederate protagonist does not believe in his heart that African-Americans should be slaves, it's disingenuous to do that again and again and again because you're kind of just washing away the whole point of the Confederacy. Yeah. So, to me, that's just one of those things where I'm just like, you lost me. I, I don't know if I can really get on board now. <laughs> or you just get into, start exploring that. Like what drove him to care about the Confederacy and wanting to continue slavery, even if he personally didn't want to benefit from it anymore. Like there's no, it, it's just something you could do. Was, you could do something with that, but I, 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 I'm trying to think of the Western where there's the ex-Confederate who's going, yeah, slavery was great. Slavery was awesome. And it's not coming mm, to mind. Nope. Yeah, I watched, I think, the first season of Hell on Wheels. It ran five seasons, which was yeah. longer than I thought it was. And it's about uh, laying the railroad out west. Some interesting characters in there. You know, it starts uh, Anson Mount. It's got Cold Meany, who I always love, Common, Tom Noonan. You know, it's a good mm. cast. And it's just, I was kind of waiting for it to pick up and get a little deeper. And it wasn't. I just, why but, do I remember? Like I said, maybe, maybe later seasons got better. I don't know. I remember 
it having something to do with the end of Breaking Bad or what was the other AMC show? Mad Men, where like it like bled right into the end. It's like if you want to see what happens in the next Breaking Bad, watch this entire episode of Hell on Wheels with no commercials. I'm like, I'm yeah. falling for your trick. Being yeah. totally mean to the show that might have been right up my alley. It's okay. It's just, it, it is kind of slow. Speaking of shows that are up my alley, Community Studies and Modern Movement. Clever title there. Annie moves in with Troy and Abed, and it's the introduction of the virtual playroom called the Dreamatorium. And something else. Uh, your boy has been dating recently, and I've been over to maybe one or two ladies' houses. And I go in their fridge, and I always instinctually say, and this is before I was, I always say, is that the yogurt that helps Jamie Lee Curtis to poop? And uh, th- that is a line from this episode. <laughs> I think this answers Chris's question about the multiverse episode, about which one is the real one. The last one that we see is where I think Jeff goes to get the pizza is the one where Annie's like, this apartment's great. And Abba says, you should move in here. Yes. So I think I just solved that problem for you. You should move in here. Moving in with a friend is presented as this horrible thing you should never do in this episode. I moved in with a friend and it was great. I loved it. It was one of the best times I ever had with a roomie. Yeah, I think... think, uh, Did you put on puppet shows? We should have. That's a sadly missed opportunity. And uh, wait, is this the one where um, the Jesus loves marijuana... Yes, it is. That, yes, that is Ted yes. Lasso's Coach Beard. Uh, it's the first time I've ever seen him, but I watched that music sequence so many times. Going right into the um, Kiss from a Rose at the karaoke machine. I, we, we've done so we've done so much karaoke and the accuracy of that stock footage, the ducks flying through the air and the hot air balloons, it just tickles oh, me to no end. Chef's kiss to that. It's Jesus perfect. Marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything funnier than people fighting in front of a green screen? Yeah. <laughs> this funny. And if you like must-see comedy from 10 years ago, The Office, we have Pam's replacement. Pam joins forces with White to prove that Jim believes her temporary replacement is pretty and drops it when she finds out that Jim has high blood pressure. To me, this is a great example of the long-form storytelling that television had become by this point. Because when The Office first started, Jim was in his 20s. And over the course of the series, we see him get married, buy a house, have a kid, then get his wife pregnant with another kid, and he's growing older. And what starts out as this wacky little thing is just stopped by like a serious medical issue that can arise when you get older. And to me, that's showing the progression of time in a way I don't feel that you ever saw from popular TV shows in like the 1980s. No, I remember I was listening to an old Always Sunny interview where Rob McElhinney talks about getting fat for like the seventh season and it was just because, like, if a show goes on that long, every character has, like, a dietitian and, like, hair plugs, and they all end up looking and getting better. They don't really age in front of you. And, and hmm. it, maybe they have a heart attack, but high blood pressure, that's something I got. Uh, that's something that happens, like, hmm. a ton of people around that age. Yeah. I was uh, at the doctor's office on Monday, and they were testing my blood pressure. And the woman took the test, and she said, huh, that's how are you feeling all right? And I was, yeah, I'm fine. Well, if this is right, you're going to be having a stroke soon. And then <laughs> she takes the, uh, puts it on again. It malfunctions. And she says, let me go get another one. So I'm just sitting there waiting. Am, am I about to have a stroke? Strokey stroke, stroke. <laughs> puts on another one, and she goes, Okay, you're fine. The first one was just a mouthful. You're filling out your will and your, your notepad? <laughs> Pretty close to it, yeah. Moving into books of 2011. I don't know if Sarah put this here or JR or Diana, but... Yes, uh, I think Sarah put this here, and we can probably bring it up again next week when she's here, because I don't know if she's read it or not, because I know I haven't, but uh, I watched Stephen the series. King's 11-22-63 came out. 
Yeah, yes. and then there was a series on Hulu, right? There Hulu. was. And I, I only have an anecdote about the series on Hulu. I was just like, wow, if this is what a Hulu series is going to look like, this shit is never going to make it. This series <laughs> looks and is terrible. <laughs> it's awful. Oh, but uh, all right, So it's about a time traveler trying to stop JFK's a guy, assassination. A guy kind of forced into time travel and to prevent huh. the assassination of JFK. And, and it's Stephen King's 60th book. Wow. <laughs> Fuck. Wow. Are you all out there still working on your first? Too bad. I remember reading a little bit of the book. The things you take for granted were you to time travel from right now. Like, you will forget to look up an address because you're so used to never having to do that anymore. How you carry yourself back then, what people did and didn't have. Like, it's kind of harder to fit in back then all of a sudden than you would think. Hmm. But the show I thought was awful, made James Franco look really bad. And one of those things like, what what dirt does J.J. Abrams have on people to keep getting trusted with shit like this? <laughs> and then moving on to those goddamn video games. Perhaps my most started game in history, uh, Metal Gear Solid 3. This is the, I want to say, 900th time I started that game up in the Metal Gear Solid <laughs> HD collection and never finished it. Or PS360 on the 8th. And then, of course... Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. Can I micro-machine man every edition of Skyrim ever released or being released? Yeah, please. Can you do it? Skyrim PC 2011. Skyrim Xbox 360 2011. Skyrim PlayStation 3 2011. Skyrim Special Edition PlayStation 4 2016. Skyrim Special Edition Xbox One 2016. Skyrim Special Edition PC 2016. Skyrim Nintendo Switch 2017. Skyrim PlayStation VR 2017. Skyrim Very Special Edition Amazon Echo 2018. Skyrim Anniversary Edition PC 2021 Skyrim Anniversary Edition Xbox One 2021 <laughs> Skyrim Anniversary Edition Xbox Series XS 2021 Skyrim Anniversary Edition P4 2021 Skyrim Anniversary Edition PS5 2021 God damn bravo. Oh. Well, oh bravo 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 red right now yeah. Oh my god how's your blood pressure uh, <laughs> we'll talk more about that on patreon.com slash later time and, and with we have a, a a lot of interesting deaths and, and births to talk to you about who died and lived during this period but jr thank you for joining us so where can people hear more of you uh they can find me on talking terrific television available wherever your podcasts are found we are covering the sopranos in chronological order we have just finished season five and about to move into season six so uh, if you're interested, talking terrific television. I was there, man. I was there. Talking long-term parking. <laughs> yes, and both Chris and Diana have been wonderful guests on the show. Yeah. Oh, thank you. My God, I love The Sopranos. Yeah, you can, uh, maybe too late to hear Laser Time's horrific Halloween episode, which is SNL Halloween moments. Video Game Apocalypse last week, absolutely hysterical. I do recommend you listen to that one. <laughs> I don't want to say why. Just listen. If you want to hear a video game show that's uh, part evergreen, part topical, Listen to whichever half you want. It's a fun show. Di, where can people find you? You can find me on the Twitter at ListenAnerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. And next week is huge. Oh, crap. We're talking Harry Potter and Twilight next week. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is, Everyone feel one. old simultaneously. The first Harry Potter movie's turned to 20. Yeah. Damn. And unfortunately, two weeks late for spooky season, Martin Scorsese is going to prove once and for all that the only good remakes are remakes of black and white horror films. God, I was so ready for and, that. So... <laughs> and I think the album that is my favorite album of all time, 
Whoa. We've got Michael Jackson controversy, but not that kind. The other kind. <laughs> We've got trumpets are like happy kings. We've got a community episode referencing a documentary mm-hmm. about making a movie that we're going to talk about that documentary in a couple weeks. Oh, boy. That's too much. <laughs> Speaking of too much, there's too much death this week. Holy shit. Um, yeah. Oh, we have a lot, a lot of death this week. We're going to tell right? you who died during this period of 302010. Oh That's the, the 5th through the 11th of November across three decades. Starting in 91, we lost Robert Maxwell. Yep. Maxwell he House was. Guy? No, he's uh, tying into what we said about Jerry Sandusky. He was a media mogul who mysteriously fell off his boat. You've heard of his daughter, Ghislaine Maxwell. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> the one the president loved. So, fuck that guy and fuck his daughter. Uh, then Jean Tierney was 70. She was a great actress back in the 40s, and her life story is incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. Get vaccinated, people. Don't break quarantine, I think, is the lesson there. Someone I got my third broke- shot. Go get yours. Yeah. Someone broke quarantine, got her sick, and she was pregnant at the time, and it, it ruined uh, her life. We lost hard pivot. Tom of Finland who is 71, the homoerotic illustrator, I guess you call him, and Fred McMurray, who is 83. Man, absent-minded professor, my three Man, sons. You want to know my favorite Fred McMurray fact, and I know surprisingly a lot, because I watched a lot of My Three Sons for some reason as a Nick at Night kid, and yep. he was pretty instrumental in getting Disney movies off the ground, Shaggy Dogs and um, My Favorite Follow Me Boys. But he mm. also invested wisely in real estate, was on a show for 12 years, and was in number one movies at the box office. At a time, he was the fourth highest paid person in the country Whoa. because of how much money he was bringing in from all of There's some story about having to like shoot all his scenes from My Three Sons alone so he could like go off and do more <laughs> of his business dealings because he was that in demand, that wealthy. And it is mostly California real estate, but he is... I think right. like, there was a couple of Netflix documentaries about out haunted buildings like those are or were owned by fred mcmurray uh, <laughs> the absent-minded professor double indemnity baby yes and he's also created he also helped create film noir for america hell yeah <laughs> all right so that was just 1991 2001 we lost ken kesey 66 who's the author of one flew over the cuckoo's nest and mm. uh you know beat generation god and Speaking of gods, the godfather of all conspiracy theories, Bill Cooper, who's 58, he was a writer and radio guy who blew the lid off of UFOs and the JFK assassination conspiracy and man-made AIDS. And I did not realize that he died in a shootout with cops who were executing (laughs) a warrant because he had he liked waving his guns at neighbors. Oh, wow. It can happen to you, too, white people. See? And then in 2011, oh, my God, we lost Joe Frazier, 67, boxing legend, Bill Keen, creator of Family Circus, who is 89, and then Heavy D, who's only 44. Heavy D is insane. For for (sighs) Bill Keen, somewhere out there, there's a white dotted line that ends in a grave. I would have gone with a ghost that said, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't give me credit for this or pay my children, who are still writing his comic. Heavy D, he talked a little bit of Living Color. That theme song was all him, baby. Mm -hmm. Heavy D. That was a good theme song. I hope the boys yeah, are okay. I was only 44. Yeah, the boys didn't help. Just heavy D. <laughs> the boys are <sighs> fun. Yeah. And... Which also means that like he was in his 20s in the early 90s when he was super popular. It's like, really dude, nuts. he looked 40 back then, man. That's really fucking nuts. Yeah. Anyway, now that so much horrible death we are done with. Do you want to talk about birthdays? Bubba birthday time. Birthdays. Who was born during this period? We 
We are celebrating someone turning 53 this week. Oh, I got to battle JR instead of... Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding-dong doodly doodly ding-dong doo. Or text me, not JR. Born November 8th, 1968 in Baltimore with a fraternal twin brother. Her family moved to Mississippi where her dad owned a car dealership and her mom was a chef and instructor at the Viking Range Corporation. Like the ovens? Yeah. <laughs> or, or like uh, we raised... These are a bunch of free-range Vikings. We just... <laughs> Don't cage them. They're allowed to do what they want. She went to State University of New York at Purchase and got a part on As the World Turns. Fun random ass facts about her. Her autobiography is called You're on an Airplane, a self-mythologizing memoir. Ooh. And she sang backup and mandolin for Ryan Adams in the Dandy Warhols. And she learned mandolin for a film role. So it's not Mandy Moore? No. Damn. She's in her 50s. All right. Movies of hers we have talked about on this show include Basquiat, Day Trippers, Henry Fool, and Inside Out. Not that one, but the one with Triple H. <laughs> don't, don't, don't let you give JR too long to think about it. Don't do it. Uh, how about Superman Returns, The Anniversary Party, You've Got Mail, and Screen 3? Oh, what's her? God damn it. Not Parker Pershing. your face. Parker Pershing. Right. It's Parker Pershing. Parker Pershing. Yes, Hey, nicely done. Good one. Also, Clock Watchers, Josing the Pussycats for your consideration, waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, and House of Yes, which she steals so hard. Yay, happy birthday, Parker Posey. You are cool. We like you. Is it okay to say I loved you on Louie? Is that still, is it like a bad thing to say? Because she was really great on Louie. She was really great on Louie. You you can like a performance by someone in a fictional uh, JR, do you have a Twitter account? I, I do. Uh, <laughs> JR Rawls at Twitter. But I was just going to say, you can like a movie, a film, and a TV show are all a collective, collaborative effort. And even if you're working no. for a bad person, you can still give a good performance in that collaboration. I hate effort. the second unit director on every episode of Louie. I don't even know who he is <laughs> or who she is. Well, again, thank you, JR, for coming on. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that we're sparing you the insanity of next week. Check out JR on Talking Terrific Television. Let's go with Trapped by Tupac. Early hit. Yeah, that's a first single. Yeah, first single by first single by Tupac. Tell a friend about the show. Thirty Patre- years. Patreon.com slash laser time. Listen to JR and Talking Terrific Television and uh, check out Diane on Twitter at Listen and Nerd. Had a really great time this episode. Thank you so much, JR. We will Thanks see you Thanks for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. See you next week. Tired of being trapped in this business cycle. And one more cop or ass to see, I just might go psycho. And when I get him, I hit him with a bum rush. Only a lunatic would like to see a score crush. Yo, if you're smart, you really let me go cheap. But keep me cooped up in this ghetto and catch the Uzi. They got me trapped. Uh-huh, they can't keep the black man down. They got me.